From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. Hiya, tonight we're talking about Paul. Not the guy, the alien in a movie with Englishmen in America. <laughs> it's the 2011 sci-fi comedy film called Paul, uh, which is basically about two English Comic nerds, sci-fi nerds, sci-fi yeah. nerds, not relatable to me at all. Or you, sorry, uh, came to the US for Comic Con, and then they decide to kind of have a road trip. And on that road trip, they pick up an alien who's trying to escape Area Fifty One. It's written uh, by Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, and directed by Greg Motola. And that is your warning from me. What yeah, do you have a, to say? <laughs> that's a spoiler warning. If you haven't seen this film yet, it's been out for nine years. It's on Netflix. You can rent it from just about any place. Do yourself a favor. Go back and watch it and then come and tune in because we're going to talk all about Paul. Warning, warning, warning. Go watch it. It's, a, it's well worth it. And so what was your number one, number two, number three takeaway from uh, Paul 2011? Sorry. Number, the number one <laughs> takeaway is that now I know where Spielberg gets his ideas from. Of course, an alien. Makes the, sense. The number two takeaway is all you need to do to overcome fundamentalist religion is the knowledge transfer of the combined wisdom of an alien race. Yeah, which is far superior to humans. So Obviously. Yeah. I will talk a bit about that scene because I've, it's up there for me. And what about your number three takeaway? Oh, do I, I need yeah, a number three takeaway? Yeah, I want three out of this. We're, we're a I... superior being tonight. I love Sigourney Weaver. Beautiful. Who have, doesn't? Always have since Alien. Yep. I mean, who just doesn't love that woman? And I love that in this film she's called Big Guy. The Big Guy. <laughs> yes, it is indeed. And how about you, Mark? Is this a movie of a hope, warning, or is it an experiment? Hope. <gasps> Why? Why? Because it's about two ordinary guys and even though they're up against the might of the U.S. secretive agent world that exists out there that we all believe does exist when we don't really know if it does or not, you know, those, the men in black, <laughs> just to refer to another film version of it, the X-Files, which is referenced in this film, which I loved as well, um, that, yeah, the hope factor comes in because I think two ordinary guys are actually willing to risk their own life and possible punishment to save a poor little alien that wants to just live. You know, he wants to get back home. He's just a cool little dude who wants to hang out and be cool. Yeah, I, I, there's a moment pretty early once they pick up Paul and um, that uh, Simon Pegg's character, who's called Graham, has with Paul. And it, and it's like, it's a moment there of save the cat, really. But it's it's 
It's that he's he's like, oh, they were going to kill you. Yeah, like, it, but he didn't even really need him to say that. He just he was willing to hope, willing to help him, and that's where the hope for me. It was is lovely. I I think also there's a little bit of hope there where Paul picks up that bird that hit the windshield <laughs> and brings it back yeah, to life. Brings it back to life. I stopped watching after that. I, it's like I thought that was a really nice message, and I, I stopped. It. You stopped it at that. I point. went out and got a cup of tea. And when I came back, they're just on a road trip. So yeah. So I assume that we just all ended yeah, all well. happy days. He saves the the dove. <laughs> Bit religious there. Um, so what about yourself in the sci-fi world? What's what? What have you been up to? Uh, I've been watching the Umbrella Academy. Okay. Yeah, I, was, I watched a fair bit of that first season. I was resisting watching it because it looked like. Uh, another one of these teens find powers mm. things. It, it was kind of advertised that it, way. It is advertised that way. But I finally watched it, and I, like they're actually no, they're thirty year olds. Mm. Yeah, and they've had problematic lives. They have since when they were, you know, young teenage superheroes. Yes, uh, and so I, I, I've actually been quite enjoying this okay. element of time travel. It reminded me there's an Isaac Asimov story. Oh, goodness me, I can't remember what it is called. But the the theory in this story is that uh, humanity at some point discovered this extra dimension which ran a long time, and they built this elevator, basically, with different levels at different times. Oh, yeah, and they could story. travel yeah, yeah. up and down, and yeah. they policed time, um, stopping humans from going too far or doing too many, you know, going too far one way or the other. They kept, yeah. kept humans safe and, and progressing nicely, what they considered to be nicely, which reminded me of this Umbrella Academy mm. in, in that time travel sort of policing role. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, in the Asimov story, we discover that uh, this policing effect they're having is actually limiting humans' capabilities. Right. And there were humans even further into the future that put a block on this travel, this time travel, yep. which limits the maximum distance into the future that humans can travel there's like this black spot where they yep. can't go yeah yeah and finally the main character discovers that basically humans at some point realized that they were screwing with humanity's development but they couldn't go back and fix it because they didn't know what they would do so they just put a block there and stopped and went at this point from this point onward um nothing that can happen earlier than that will prevent us from developing correctly so there was kind of this, and it was quite interesting, and, and it reminded me of this Umbrella Academy time travel bit. So it yeah. remind me of that. But I mean, other than that, though, I've been uh, experimenting with Twitch TV, mm-hmm. so live streaming, trying to get my mojo back with my writing because uh, since going into this COVID COVID experience, yeah, you'd think I'd have more time sitting around, but I've been tending to find other duties to do around the house. Yeah, where previously I would come in for an hour or two every day and do my writing and creativity yeah i found that i was just not keeping myself accountable yeah but i've got a schedule up on twitch so it's gravity undone surprise surprise (laughs) and i basically live stream my writing i'm currently revising book one of the novels that i've I've already self-published but i'm i'm revising through it just because uh i've uh learnt more i guess you know you're always yeah, always learning always learning more and, and and went back and reading it um having finished written the third book i really uh, really got into that swing of adapting audio drama to book and i think 
that was the trick. Book one I wrote, I hadn't quite, like it's, it's not a straightforward conversion from one, you know, medium to another. So book one sort of had, had a, a couple of problems in the start. It wasn't, wasn't entirely adapted as well as it could have been to book form. Yep. So having learnt what I have learnt from my experience writing more of it and doing a few other bits, I've gone back and you know, I'm revising through them. So basically, my Twitch stream is basically me reading the chapter as I go. Yep. And then stopping when I get to like yeah, like a, a shonky sentence or uh, a place where a comma needs to go or or I find a bit that's a bit boring and I go, geez, oh, okay, chop. Don't need to hear about that trip on the train where he does nothing. You know, so chop that out and and I think that I, I've made it more interesting. But yeah, that's that's my stream. So every morning, Perth time, eight a.m. So that would be ten or eleven o'clock in the morning on the east coast of Australia. Uh, it'd be like lunchtime in Europe and in the United States. It would be seven o'clock the evening. I think they could do one of those Google calculator things. Mm. Sorry, uh, you know, the, ske- we are the, the schedule eight. is on Twitch, but <laughs> well, the problem is I, I have discovered that. Being in IT, I am constantly thinking in time zone terms. Yeah. The number of times I've spoken to people and said, oh, it's, it's at this, this blah, 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 GMT plus eight. And they go, what? That's my time zone. It's plus eight. Yeah. Plus eight what? Plus eight hours from what? <laughs> Greenwich Mean Time from zero? Yeah. What on earth are you talking about? These people are gooses. And, sorry. and so you go, Perth time. Oh, Perth time. Yes, I'm, I'm on Sydney time. Yeah, okay, well. <laughs> Okay, now we now we now I'm talking the same language. Sorry, so. I'm just talking a universal language that's been agreed upon for like hundreds of years. But you know, no yeah. worries. Just say Sydney time. Sydney <laughs> time, yeah. Well, well, see, the thing is, you talk to people in the United States, they talk about Central. Central. And you go, yeah. I have. What is Central? What is Central? Who is Central? Which is fine if you're in the United States. It makes sense. It's yeah. you know. Uh, but anyway, there you go. <laughs> so Twitch TV, and that's very interesting. And uh, currently. Working, workshopping ideas on how we can maybe bring Space Brains a bit of video, yeah, uh, and in in um, in Twitch land. So maybe a twenty-four hour marathon Space Brains recording. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can do up to forty-eight hour Twitch sessions. Yeah, right. Jeez, yeah, I no. don't think I'd do uh, Space. Brains no, but something that's very exciting <laughs> and I think is coming is because Twitch got bought by Amazon. So, oh, so okay. there's a tie-in between Amazon Prime and Twitch whereby you can do watch-along. So you're mm. a t- Twitch streamer like us. Yeah. We can, you know, there's a certain set video library that they have available so far and they're working to get more licensed. Yeah. You can actually display it as part of your stream and have it on. So we could have a live Space Brains watching a classic, for example. Yeah. And then... Or maybe watching a movie neither of us has watched. Yeah. And giving commentary over top of what well, our thoughts are at the time and so I'll do like the sound of that. I think that so, sounds cool. So these these are sorts of that's some ideas. Um, Let us know if you'd like us to do that. Yeah, or, or if you've got some ideas of how we can go video. Yeah. What uh, should we put in a video? I've got a few ideas and we I've, I think we'll try a few out in the Just next... like how we record with no pants on. Is that a good idea for video? Let well, us I, know. I wear a kilt yes. most of the time. All the time in a kilt. Highly offensive to the Scottish community. Oh, it's appropriation. <laughs> it's appropriation. I also shaved my head, which is going to be, you know, it's cancer appropriation, I think. It's, yeah, um, you don't shave it. Well, maybe I should be shaving it with like a uh, big, large, sharp knife. Well, if you, you know, shaved your head, that would be 
appropriating baldness. Yes, it would be. Because you, that's the real be reason I shave. Offensive to your community? To my community, the bald community. <laughs> Which I will be joining over the next 10 years when I'm as old as you are. Sorry. Join us. Join us. Okay, so that's Slowly. pretty cool. And how about yourself, Anne? You're, you're doing cool things. You found there was a grant that we missed out on? We did, unfortunately. I think the city of Mandra had a, a restart Mandra because of COVID, but... Yeah, we don't need to go into those details right now. But, uh, yeah, no, it was really good. Tanya, my wife, Stocko, is available at a local art gallery and I had a big um, say in that as in produced it and as part of the camera and obviously gave her advice. We kind of to and fro from projects. Um, but that's exciting. We've got to go to the little VIP launch on Sunday at the art gallery. It was very COVID safe so they couldn't have people beyond like plus one. Um, and the local minister, our local Mandarin minister was there, David Templeton. He gave a pretty cool speech, actually, and he is the minister for the arts as well. So he did speak about how important a show like this is, actually, he feels. And he wants to he wants to promote that more and he wants to get more art going in Mandra and all this sort of thing. So it was a shame that then hearing about this grant, but you know, it was due literally that day. So... Didn't have time to get our heads if into that. If we were more practiced, we could probably have done it. But I've never applied uh, for it or received. Yeah, the grant, I, so. look, I've I've done a. I, I did one application last year for Screen West. I did one for the ADG, which I was successful. Uh, the Screen West one, I wasn't successful for, and then and that was a writers one. And then I also applied with the NBC one, which I got feed. I like seeked out feedback over, which was great. I, I don't know we talked about that last year. Um, so go back to that episode and have a listen about November last year. Um, but, uh, it was a good event. I didn't have a, I wanted to talk one-on-one, but these politicians are very good at sneaking past you. And like, they have very little, like, you know, they kind of like people and other people hook onto them as well. And you kind of can't get in, you know? Uh, but I was also there to support Tanya and, and that was the thing. Cause she was a bit, you know, worked up about the whole thing. Um, and uh, But it was good. It's there. It's available for about a month. And then after that, I think we're going to look at putting it into a couple of festivals over the next couple of months. So it's really great. Uh, and for myself, it's not at all. I was totally, and I've talked about it on Space Brains a couple of months ago. I was like, gung-ho, I was going to make a, a time travel short uh, narrative film. That was the next one in the queue of the films I was going to do. But just because of COVID, and although we are pretty safe in WA... Um, without with keeping to those 1.5 meter laws, and also not wanting to be responsible if suddenly there is a COVID outbreak and you have to like cancel a film shoot and things like this, I've decided to go the doco route where it's like you know it's more just me and a camera. Um, and Tanya will probably help me, and I might I might get someone else to also be on camera, but it's far less reliant upon actors and crew and all that to be involved. So. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a, an idea for a doco. It's got nothing to do with science fiction, but that's where I'm going to go down this next two months. It's probably going to take to kind of go from nothing to a finished film. Um, but I'm excited about that. And it's about Mandra. It's a, it's a story specific in Mandra. So I'll talk a bit more about that as it comes up. And we do have a bit of uh, exciting news. So, so about a month and a half or so ago, we were fortunate enough to interview the writer and director of In Paradox, yep. a Q80 film that's on Netflix. And we have gotten in contact with the writer and director of Occupation. Yeah, uh, exciting. An amazing Australian director who's got another 
It's got the sequel coming out shortly. Yes, and that, that was our last episode, Occupation. It was the last episode, yep. and he has uh, agreed to talk with us a bit mm. about that, and um, that'll be exciting because he's, he's actually got this sequel that's filmed, as I understand it. It's just going through whatever the last you know, mysterious processes are that creative endeavors go through <laughs> just prior to release. Yeah. Right uh, now it's probably in a room with, you know, people being very COVID safe that all have well, to watch a, it. The problem is that it, <laughs> it could be simply just waiting yeah. to be released. But yeah. of course, cinemas are not in full production no, at the not. moment and no. maybe it's waiting a little bit. But anyway, it'd be exciting to hear about the, the process of going from, first of all, writing, producing this first film, which happened quite... Um, Years ago, yeah, now. quite yeah, three years ago, and it was in a compressed time frame. Yeah, to then landing a sequel. Yep, and he's got some Hollywood names in there, and and yep. Hollywood um, distribution or connection yeah, there. Yeah, I, yeah. I saw some names, but we'll find out more. So that's going to be really cool to yeah, get. So Luke Spark will be Luke on Spark. a future episode of Space Brains, which is very exciting. But tonight we talk Paul. Oh. <laughs> and I do, I do like it. Before we get into this, one of the things I do like about Paul is Simon Pegg and and Nick Frost. But Simon Pegg is uh, a self confessed Trekkie and a nerd. Like this movie, and because I was watching the the interviews when this movie first came out, I was watching the interviews with him. And he's saying this movie is, is actually it's kind of a little bit autobiographical in that he has wanted to do these um, road trips. And he has gone to Comic-Con and he does love all this stuff. And sure enough, he has gone on then to produce a couple of cult, you know, he's cult sort of science fiction-esque movies. But then he's also been in Star Trek. Mm. And written, uh, he wrote the last Star Trek film. Oh, did he write that one? Yeah, he's actually the scriptwriter. So that. imagine yeah. that you're, you're a Trekkie. I don't know the like, name of it. Please tell me what it is. But it, it, it is the light, the later, the 2016 Star Trek. Isn't that Into Darkness or something? Yeah, maybe uh, we might be showing that we're not quite up with the Star Trek. Oh, oh no, we're getting there. Hey, look, yeah. we, we just watched a 2011 film, so we're, 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 we're a bit behind the time. We're moving our way forward <laughs> in time, showing more our age, I think. But I think it's amazing, and and for me, that's kind of I, I like to. It's a bit of wish fulfillment vicariously through yeah. Simon Pegg that he yeah. he he pursued this this nerdist goal mm. and achieved with the ultimate he he got to play Scotty mm. on Star Trek and who does not want to play Scotty mm. not that Scotty talks like that <laughs> and again I'm sorry I am wearing a kilt so I'm being extra You're just offensive. completely <laughs> offending the whole Scottish uh, uh, all our Scottish listeners there. Uh, I apologise. <laughs> a bit of a wee bum pot. I learnt that one. I work with a Scot, and uh, yeah, he he calls me a wee bum pot. My which main, I assume means good person. Yeah, my main Scottish influence is How to Train Your Dragon <laughs> with the Vikings, the fictional Vikings that are all Scottish. Hey, I worked with what's his name. Uh, who, who plays the chief uh, in 300 as well. Uh, the chief in 300? No, not the chief in 300. The chief in How to Train Your Dragon. Ah. And he also appears in 300. I can't remember. Uh, I worked with his cousin, who's an oh. IT computer programmer. That's So there you go. A bit of a stretch of the celebrity way. Yeah, I know. It's, it's not much there. <laughs> you it? started with, 
I worked with the guy. Oh, the guy's cousin. Yeah, yeah the, the, the guy's they, third cousin that they weren't once close went out on a date with the sister. But anyway, there you go. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, you've mentioned Simon Pegg. He's, he's one of the writers of this and Nick Frost. Now, both of them you should recognise from those cult films, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World's End. Um, interesting, Simon Pegg's as a writer, as a script writer, has been involved in the writing of all of those films. Nick Frost, not so much. He has written a couple of other uh, TV. He's been credited for a couple of TV programs, a couple of spin-offs from Shaun of the Dead and, of course, Paul. But Simon Pegg seems to have consistently been uh, either the main script writer of a lot of those stories or co-written them with another person. And, yeah, it was interesting. I have not seen it, but it's the latest. I believe it's the latest Star Trek. So it was 2016. Um, as I said, I can't quite remember the name. Also, just take note of the director, Greg Mattello, big comedy director, super bad. I oh, mean, yes. come on, you can't deny super bad is a very funny movie. Nothing to do with um, sci fi. But he's also got a bit of a style because if you take super bad, he, he's written a film, sorry, he directed also Adventureland which is kind of quite an indie comedy film, but with some really big Hollywood uh, actors in it. And also recently he did a film called Keeping Up With The Joneses, which again has some big comedy actors in it in 2016. So um, this guy is a huge comedy director and we see that that Paul, yeah, it's an alien. Yeah, it's guys chasing, an, uh, you know, supporting an alien. Yeah, it's agents chasing down that alien. It's an extremely science fiction film. But it's also a comedy. It's very funny. It is, and and one of the things I do like about it, it's not a. It it has elements of your typical Hollywood comedy, but mm. it's also you can see the the British sense of humour coming can, through. Can, yeah, yeah. That, that sort yeah. of uh, wry, ironic, self-deprecating mm. little views. Definitely. And, um, little side nods and things, as opposed to uh, you've yeah. got the. Paul character who's like um, Seth Rogen. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, not Joe Rogan. That's it. I was no, going, no, hang no. on, did Seth I say Rogan. the right Rogan? Seth Rogen, <laughs> Canadian-American actor. Yes. Comedian. Yes. And so, you know, you've got his sort of wise cracks and yeah. his sort of boyish humour. But at the same time, you've also then got that, um, uh, you know, couple of Brits lost in America sort of humour, which is quite good. There's a great, uh, there's, a, there's a good line when big guy Sigourney Weaver does say to Jason Bateman, who's playing the agent, like he, he's like, oh, two British guy nerds picked him up, um, and she's like, oh no, two 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 uh, two nerds from England picked him up, and she goes, New England, and he goes, no, old England, yeah. and she's like, creepy. <laughs> so it's like you know uh that that sort of analogy of the america of the american view of the english and it's the same when the sheriff kind of says i've heard about you guys you don't have guns <laughs> so what do they do what do they what do when the, they want to shoot people <laughs> please don't shoot people uh, that they don't shoot people yeah. so there is that kind of like what's, dry yeah, what's english their point comedy in it there there really is that in there the director and the writers uh, and a few of the stars in this, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, who wrote it, Christian Wig pops up, Sigourney Weaver, who Surrey has a major crush on, Seth Rogen has the voice of Paul and Jason Bateman. And it's interesting, a lot of these actors, there's also a lot of B characters in this. Those actors have all 
continued on careers and had haven't been well, careers, was, you know. Who's the that guy, Glee woman? Yeah, she's. she's uh, the, the, I don't know her name at the top of my waitress head. Waitress. Yeah, she's, she's the waitress. She plays the the sports coach, the cheerleading coach in Glee. I can't, she does I the hillbilly that. guy as well. He's from the office. Um, the young rookie who, again, my name escapes me, uh, that kind oh, of realizes. Brooklyn Nine Nine. Bill Harder. Bill, Bill Hadder. You know, he's he's been in all sorts of stuff um, uh, since then, including his own big show. Like the a lot of the the people in this are, are huge. And Blythe Danner as well pops up at playing the character of Tara, the little girl that's Saul Paul. You know, she plays that cameo. Um, and even Jason Bateman's. It's funny to look back. He was one of these dudes that was huge with Team Wolf Two in the 80s, oh, and then he, like, faded off out of existence and kind of, he just kept plodding at it, plodding at it. And even with Paul, like, this isn't when he's big yet, you know? Like, he's sort of then, after this film, it's when he starts to start to get it. Christian Wig, well-known to the comedians out there, but not really known. In 2011, and I thought about this because Bridesmaids, which she co-wrote, came out in 2011, which is just, like, this huge hit. Um, and made her a name mm. in film. Uh, before that, she was a big comedy actor. But this film was 2011. But because of the special effects, they probably actually shot this in like 29, 2010, you know? Oh, so, yeah. you know, to get it out there. It's one of those things, isn't it? Your movie's release date. Yeah, Some, it can be Sometimes always. they've been... Uh, yeah. What was that movie? We, we did a movie a while ago. It took seven years mm. to come out. Like from when it was first shot to when that finished post-production yeah and they had to go back and reshoot something after several years yeah and it's just and like even we've been talking about COVID. disney have automatically delayed all the star wars films now until at least after 2021 yes because of the cinema situation that cinemas might not reopen they've just said nah star wars is shelved now so even though they, they might have shot stuff stuff's ready to go this year they're not releasing it so there you go. So let's get into the opening image. Sorry, we get told it's Moorcroft, Wyoming, 1947. Look, it's that classic old farmhouse. Look, even I know, like 1947, that's the hot year for, that's when UFOs started. They did. Before 1947. Post World War II. Well, it's interesting, because like, I was listening to a, a podcast talking about this phenomenon like men in black and UFOs, and yet... World War Two. The end of World War Two was basically when UFO started. Prior to that, mm. there were sightings of uh, sightings of demons or of witches flying around or of um, various other mythological things. Like, but they sort of had similar traits in the mm. way they were described and so forth. So it's, it's just this interesting phenomenon throughout human subconscious or, or knowledge yeah. that, and it became aliens in forty seven because of course we had. Uh, World War Two finished. We had a lot of aeroplanes would be used in bombing, mm. and uh, there's a lot of test flights of all you know rockets and balloons and God knows what yeah. else. And an alien craft crashed in Wyoming. But it it is interesting that point, isn't it? That post World War Two, the labelling becomes alien when before maybe it wasn't. And Paul kind of does make a bit of a joke about that later in the film that. Oh, your culture has been drip-fed images of me, yeah. so that just in case, if we all suddenly landed, you'd be ready for us. Yeah, so you wouldn't freak out. <laughs> you wouldn't like, totally freak yeah. out because you subconsciously think, well, that's what an alien looks like. If they rocked up looking like alien from Alien, we would all freak out because there's ah, this big, yes. huge creature. No, but you're supposed to have the big head and the scary eyes. Yes. <laughs> so it's a good joke, isn't it? That, but it's also interesting because 
there's this suspicion, isn't there, that after, because of World War II and the way the war worked out and the Americans kind of came out on top, and but then they realised that you can't sit on your backside. You have to keep putting money into the military because you don't know who your enemy is and how powerful they are, that then all of a sudden you have this kind of subvert government uh, investment in mm. technologies that maybe they don't quite tell the public what's going on. You know, and so yes, it could be aliens, but it could also be them testing some sort of type of military and, and a, plane. A number of UFO sightings have later been confirmed to be rocket tests. Yeah. And, However, uh, recently you've stuff. seen that footage from the uh, American um, the Navy. Navy. The Navy's and been releasing footage. They've released some footage, and the CIA's, well, not the CIA. I think was the CIA. Yeah, they've released some uh, footage from the planes that show these weird aircrafts in the sky and the pilots mm. kind of shitting their pants going, I don't know what that is. Interesting. <laughs> it I, happened 10 years ago. I have unfortunately also seen a lot of the debunking of, of those demonstrating the technologies involved. Well, this is the problem with the internet, but like, like you this. can never completely trust that, can you? Because you kind of think, well, no, it could be doctored and just put out there, yeah. But anyway... If you go to my blog, I do talk about seeing a UFO, so go check it out. I'll tell you. you Ooh, go just I should write out. a blog yeah. about the alien I saw. Yeah, you should. You should. I saw the space one. Jeez, that was, it's just one of the most amazing experiences I had. It wasn't a real space one, but it, it could have been. It could have. See, this, this is the thing about these sorts of experiences. Most of them deter, are determined by what you choose to believe they are. like Sorry, I was trying to leave it open-ended. But that's what makes them Make them reality. read the blog? One way or the other, oh. it's reality or not. <laughs> it's and, the and Matrix, man. It's the Matrix. But, but that's exactly how things like um, religion and magic and UFOs and all these things work, is that if you're, that's your worldview, it is reality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. there is no proof that can show otherwise. No, no. If you, if you uh, this is the thing. If you're walking along a road, a country road at night, and lights hover over you and land on top of you, and you know a little green man gets out and talks to you, that that's what happened to you. Yeah, exactly. But it, it, it doesn't mean that that is actually what happened to you. Someone else could be sitting there and watching and yeah. see something entirely different. See something completely different. And they could know? have measured something entirely different, but yeah. to the person where that. That was a real experience because the but, brain doesn't know. Anyway, no, that's we're, right. we're getting off here on, <laughs> we are. on these sort of interesting tangents. And that's what happens to these guys. <laughs> so and, this little girl comes running out. The dog's kind of barking and barking and runs off. There's light flickers in the sky and the dog runs out. She's calling the dog Paul. Oh, Paul. And uh, the poor dog looks up and we see these lights and the lights come down and kind of squish the dog. Yes, it's squish. <laughs> Opening credits, we have Paul kind of being put over really big concrete green old school doors uh, and then it flashes to saying um, present day and these two guys are on the street and they're and surrounded orcs, by orcs. Orcs walk <laughs> up next to them and sort of look at them and they go, oh, yeah, they sort of shrug about it. Like... Yeah, they're kind of nervously excited, I suppose, is maybe a way to say it. Um, and then, anyway, these two guys, which is Simon Pegg and um, Nick Frost, uh, as we said, Simon plays a character called Graham and Nick plays a guy called Clive. Um, and they just basically have a nice, fun montage for a couple of minutes, don't they, at yeah. Comic-Con? Comic-Con, yes. So they do things like they're shooting virtual reality, uh, they cheer on a robot, 
um, and they, they just kind of have a good time. And then, and then they're, it's a nice, I, I really like this because it's a little fun montage. Always like montage, time for a montage. Um, and then they're really super excited because they're going to get to meet Adam Shadowjack. Adam Shadowjack, what, you never heard again, of him? Sorry? You, you never heard of him? It's like yeah, that's Julia Plunkett in the golden watering can? <laughs> um, it's always, what, Jenny, Jenny and the... Yeah, I, well, I, I couldn't like, think of the name, so I said Julia yeah, Plunkett. But it's, it's always Jenny. Like, it's like Jenny and the muffin tops. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, or Jenny and the outer space muffin tops, something, something like that. But um, they're going to meet this Adam Shadowjack, and it's that typical, like they're standing in a queue, getting closer and closer. And look, to be honest, I can't remember this guy's name, but he's, he's in a awesome american comedian actor been in loads and loads of films and really known as the father in arrested development and um oh, yes. he just he just sort of plays that asshole character so well jason bateman there's a connection arrested development oh. quite often these guys work together don't they um but uh yeah he they get up to him and this is where Clive, Nick Frost, they kind of reveal that he's a writer and Adam's like, oh, shrugs his shoulders yeah, at this idea. Here we go. Oh, yeah, I'd love to see it. Well, here you can tell me. Here you go. Oh, no, I meant later. There's yeah, a no, legal it's... thing. It's a legal thing. I can't look I was, at your I was book. actually talking to an, an author and he said there is kind of a legal thing because <laughs> they once made the mistake of being kind and say, yeah, 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 I'll have a look. Yeah. And they took it and they started reading it and then, like, the next book they brought out, this guy contacted yeah, and said, "Did you did you my take my idea?" Like, and the agents like, "You can't." When you're a published author, you can't take manuscripts yeah. in a, without like an NDA, without yeah. without like legal legal people being involved. Because yeah. most of the time it's okay, but every now and then you get some fruitcake who is convinced that yeah. their novel was just yeah. so amazing that you had to steal it. Like Clive Palmer, they're just going to sue you and sue. See you and see you because, and anyone <laughs> no, who's not Australian, particularly if you're not Western Australian, you will not get that reference. <laughs> I think I think everyone in Australia gets that reference right now. Yeah, but I in WA so. we really do. But um, I like this guy, and I loved like they move on and they sort of like go take, and I just <laughs> love the next people in line. A young couple, or young, you know, oh, young we teenage, really loved you. I really like you, Adam Shadowchild. He goes, "Did you buy a book?" And they they go, "No." And he goes, "Then fuck off." <laughs> Uh, I got to see Matthew Riley do this, and it was a really good experience. He didn't, I didn't notice him doing this. He was very gentlemanly about everything. He owns a DeLorean. That was really exciting. But, yeah, I like this idea. As it reminded me of that experience of meeting Matthew Riley in that queue of people uh, that everyone is, like, fans of this author. Um, yeah, it's an incredible and experience. They get their selfie with Adam yeah. Shadowchild, but he's just, like, a little speck in <laughs> the background somewhere. And didn't you love, sorry, I thought you would like this, I really liked it, is like they're using this digital camera. I mean, this is 2011. I mean, were phones that yeah. shitty in 2011? Like, like they had a digital camera. Yeah. But it was like the digital camera's even pretty shitty, wasn't it? I think it was just a bit of a joke about it. But, you know, they didn't have much money. and Maybe yeah. it was a bit of a joke about UFO cam- shots. Because like, even the F, uh, not FBI agent, because we're not told the FBI, but... Even the rookie has, he keeps doing that with that digital camera, like keeps taking photos of everything. And it's a really shitty little camera. Yeah, anyway. It's just, <laughs> maybe cameras have come that far in that quicker time. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, so then they're back in the hotel room. There's good references to them being a couple. And this film keeps touching on that, that they're a gay couple. Yeah, no, I at first was sort of going, was this, is this sort of um, a bit of like a, a historic throwback to old attitudes? But. I actually realised no. It's more sort of pointing out there's um, 
outsiders, people want to categorize and classify outsiders. Mm. So uh, Clive and Graham are outsiders. They're, they're total nerds and yeah. they're, they're British as well. They're British in America. In America. They're all very, very excited uh, in about the way everything. They, about yeah. everything. Yeah. That, yeah, the, the mainstream people they meet don't know how to take them. Mm. And so just sort of fall onto some stereotype. Like two guys, they're weird, must be gay. Yeah. No, no, no. They didn't, even, they, oddly, they didn't even make that joke. No, 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 we're British. <laughs> no, they, they, you know, but it's, it's just, so I think actually it was more, it was more highlighting that, yeah, as a society, People label. if anything's a little bit outside of our normal experience, like a couple of nerds and like, well, I don't know what to deal with this. I will just fall back on some thing. And everyone wasn't negative about them being gay. No, they just except kept the, saying, are you gay? Like, except the red rednecks, I suppose. But that yeah. was they were purposely being portrayed as yeah. being sort of rednecks. Ridiculous <laughs> caricatures of, yeah. of bad people. But yeah, it was but it was just that like people just didn't know how to take outsiders and so they tried to shoehorn them into You must be gay. Some sort of you know, what what would be considered a new recently discovered outsider category, you know, like I'll just take this moment, sorry, to do a public service announcement that I think the thing was these two guys were just perfectly normal friends, but they're super into science fiction. And then therefore, as you're saying, the stereotype is two close males that are into something really weird and nerdy. They probably do not meet females and therefore are maybe homosexuals. Yes. And that's kind of the stereotype. And if you are a homosexual science fiction nerd, get in touch with us yeah, and, and ask if you've ever been mistaken for a heterosexual. Yeah. Because you're friends with a female. <laughs> That's right. I expect that probably actually happens. Jeez, what, that would be really weird at a Comic-Con of convention because I've been to a few of these games conventions stuff. Me too. And to see a guy... With a with girl? A girl or multiple <laughs> girls. Yeah, it's weird. It is weird. They, they must be like a celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're normally with guys. But then once you're out, I suppose that's the thing. That, that what I mean is, well, the, the, the gay references all came, they didn't come at Comic-Con. They came no. outside of that they world. They came outside yeah. of yeah. that yeah. world. In, in the real world. Where the real world was not accepting of <laughs> Yeah, difference. of accepting of this But they were trying to be accepting. Yeah. Yes. So, and as you said, none of it was like negative towards it. It was just like they were trying to label them. Yeah, trying to, trying to figure and out it, how they fit in yeah. the world. And even Paul did it. Even Paul said it to them. Yeah. Um, and he's an alien, <laughs> and he's a an literal alien. Not, not this world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they're getting pizza at the hotel and they explain that basically the plot of the film that they're going to go on a tour of the US, like known alien hotspots, um, and the waiter doesn't really get it at all. He's even just question, what do you mean by alien? Because yeah. <laughs> he's an alien in the terms of a refugee or a illegal immigrant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they visit some sites and they really nerd it up. They go to these California yeah, mountains where Star Trek was filmed and they're like fighting. And then they, I like that. They go, ah, people. Yeah, they <laughs> run on. Because they're gone. <laughs> they're I like... love the Gwen episode. I, as a kid, that was, I don't know what it was. So, it was so cool because Kirk, if you've not seen the, the Gorn episode. Uh, go it? and watch. Don't give cool. any spoilers. <laughs> but it's just cool that. that and they made fun of it in Galaxy Quest as well. They did, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Oh, we need to do that as yeah, a Galaxy classic. Quest. I watched because... that the other day. I was just, it's freaking awesome. Yeah, we do need to watch um, it. But anyway, yeah, so they, they're, doing, they're doing the fun. We get, I, it's almost like another little montage. Yes, it is. It is. Until they end up at the Alien Roadhouse. Yeah. 
where they're sort of geeking it up a bit, and this is where um, Glee woman. Yeah, who's that's, really good in this. I'm sorry, that's all I ever see her as yeah. now. Uh, she asks him if they want to. She like Jamie Lynn. So, yeah, and she takes the order and wants a, a choc mint milkshake <laughs> or something. Yeah. Because it's got green on it. Yeah. And oh, do you want a sparkler? And he's like, yeah, oh, well, I don't know. Yeah, and Nick, <laughs> Clive's, yeah, yeah, sparkler. Okay. Sparkle. So she goes off and then Clive goes, oh, we've got to go to the toilet. And he goes off to the toilet and there's a couple of stereotypical hillbilly, hillbilly rednecks, yeah, rednecks come in yeah. and see uh, Graham looking at them. Just well, kind of, he kind of laughs with them, laughs, doesn't he? And they yeah. laugh as they come, and he kind of nervously laughs as well with them. Yeah. He doesn't know how to deal with it. And they just sort of look at him oddly, like, you know, what you're laughing at? And he, goes, and he turns around and ignores them, and they, they settle down a bit un, uneasily when, of course, Clive comes back mm. and sits down and starts talking all buddy-buddy with him, like excited yeah. schoolboys. And again, then, and this is, this is where the, the, the rednecks start going, hang on. Two men. This is a bit out of the usual. Yeah. And then the sparkler drink turns up. Yeah. And you're going, oh, <laughs> I feel threatened. I feel my male heterosexuality is threatened. Yeah, which is odd because they did come to an alien-themed yeah. diner, which they must know. But anyway, so there's a confrontation there where they, um, the, the, the two friends escape out the side and they quickly jump in the RV and reverse and smash into the side of the truck. The big, <laughs> which is obviously pickup. their truck, a big black Ute. You know, yeah, it had some. Did it have like an offensive sticker on there? Like, I don't. I, I thought uh, it, I thought it had some sort of sticker on there that was kind of, again, further painting these these two out as insecure, sort of uh, over the top characters. And they, and, and they and they they drive off and they're. They're, they're nervous and they stop at the, the black mailbox. Black mailbox, yeah. Which, to tell you the truth, I don't know the story of that one. It surprised me. I thought I knew all of these stories, but I didn't know that one. No. I'll have to look it up. And then they finally continue on into the night. And there's headlights. No, well, yeah, no that, well, that's the thing. They're at that black letterbox. Yes. And they kind of like take the photos and stuff. And then, then there's like a headlights coming towards them. Oh, okay. And a, and a honking of the horn, and they 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 sort of jokingly say to each other, "Do you think it's those guys from the bar?" And they go, "Nah, but we should probably just." Have you seen enough? Yeah, we've seen yeah, enough. We've seen enough. Well, let's go back in there. And they get they like run back to the RV and they hop in and they f- sort of floor it off. And this car's you know gaining on them, isn't it mm. now? And it's like getting closer and closer, and it's honking its horn, and it's you know they're like going oh. We just keep going, keep going, and then with that, it actually overtakes them, and and they realise that then it's not the yeah, U. It just it's a, actually a sedan, you know, kind of a modern looking sedan. Um, but it is the type of car in my mind that you see FBI agents yeah, quite it's often. A, it's a very I don't know exactly what that is like a, a Ford. Crown Victoria <laughs> or something. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it just they all look the same in all the movies I've ever seen. It's that sedan car, police car, looking styled uh, thing. And it goes out and they, they're like, oh. They relax. Thank God it doesn't. And as they're relaxing and it's over, just overtaked them, the car just like then just like violently crashes in front of them. slides off the road, yeah. flips and flips, crashes and tumbles. Burns up, you know, reverses into the desert. But like a couple of nice boys, they stop yeah, they to do see stop. if there's anything wrong. Yeah, no and hit And I checked, and this happened in about 13 minutes. Yes, it did. It did. So yeah. all of that stuff that happened, like all those. Yeah. 
really packed on because of the montage effect. I think they they used a couple of good montages there, which really they gave did. you that feeling that time had passed, stuff had happened. These kids, but anyways, yeah. So the the car crashed. They go to in- investigate, and out of the darkness comes uh, an alien. An alien. Like, <laughs> you can't smoking a cigarette. It looks exactly <laughs> like. An alien. Yeah, it's a classic alien. And of course... Big head, big eyes. Clive, who had previously been saying, oh, if we ever met one, you know, I'd be cool and all the rest of it. Yeah. He keels over backwards and... Pees his back. He's got a child's (laughs) bladder. He's got a child's (laughs) bladder. um, And, yeah, Graham, on the other hand, it's sort of... Yeah, he's nervous and and upset and and unsure. And we get this... A bit of a chat. This alien is, is not like... You know, we come in peace, phone home. He's like, motherfucker, what the hell's going on in this town? <laughs> like, He's like, you got to help us. We're going to get out of here. Why is he wet his pants? Just let's like lift him onto the car. You know, like, yeah, I'm an alien. Let's just move it. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm on the road. You know, I've got to get moving. And, and, um, and I think this is where he does say, um, like, you know, surely we should call the police or something. And Paul says the line which is a great line, actually. He goes, sometimes you just got to roll the dice. And, like, he's he's giving him an ultimatum, isn't he? It's a mm. great classic ultimatum to Graham. Um, Clive has passed out. He's saying to him, you could ring the authorities. Play it safe. you could play it safe. You could yeah. do the same old thing that you, that, you know, you do. But, hey, I'm an alien, and you guys were literally out here, like, hunting an alien. Why don't we roll the dice and see where this goes? And he, and he, he agrees to it. And I, I liked that. I really thought that was cool. Um, so then anyway, they're driving down the road and this is where we get a bit of like, you know, understanding <laughs> yeah. of what's yes. going on. And um, he, he, Paul says to him, you know, he does speak English. Like oh, well, he, he, he like, asked Paul, he says, how are you communicating with me? There's some sort of mental, mental telepathy, blah, blah, blah. And Paul says, what's that? No, I'm speaking English, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's a really great moment here because after he sort of said a couple of those things, uh, you know, giving him a little bit of context of, of who he is, that he's been, he's escaped and he wants to get elsewhere to get help. Um, he says, we need to get away from the big guy. And there's a great, like, as soon as he says that, it's cut. And this, we have like, you know, those lovely shots of like, you know, polished shoes walking around the wreckage of the car. Oh, yeah. That Paul had come from. And that's quite a, a cliched shot, isn't it? Yeah. The low camera, the door opens and the feet yeah, tonk, get down. We don't see the person, you know. We see them from behind. We see that they're in a, you know, a sh- sharp suit. And then he's on the, he's on this like weird GPS phone, isn't he? Like in the car. And I like the, um, the shot coming up from behind with his jawline. You can imagine it's David Duchovny. It's, yeah, it's yeah, it Agent is. Mulder. Yeah. He's got the suit. He's got the hair. He's got the but hair, as it comes so. around, you see it's not, him. No. It's Jason Bateman, but it's it's still got the same hair and sort of general sort of look to the X Files. And and he's speaking to on, through his phone. We get a lot of shots of it. I think they were trying to say this is a really high tech phone. <laughs> like there was like the vibrations of the phone on the on the screen. Mm. Um, we don't actually get his name, but he is a guy called Agent Zoyle, um, and he speaks over this tech phone to this female boss that is obviously the boss. And she's telling him, like, you know, you have to keep, you have to clean this up. You have to take care of this mess. You have to get him back. And they kind of, they do, they do have a conversation about the idea of, you know, where would Paul be heading? What, like, why is he heading there? And they do uh, sort of suggest that maybe he's trying to get off the planet. Like, that's kind of the suggestion. 
And um, and and anyway, Agent Zoyle says, you know, he'll take care of it. And she actually says, well, I've got two rookies out doing another mission uh, 70 miles away. They could set up a roadblock, you know. And um, <laughs> that's a great, like it cuts to these two rookies uh, and and um, one of them goes, oh, we've been, re- we've been, you know, re- what was it reordered or re-dispatched somewhere else? And the other's like, "What do we do with the sandwich?" Oh, she said we could we could share it. Yeah, we oh, share I it. love yes. this job. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you immediately get the impression that these rookies don't know anything what they're doing. But it's it's like, funny because of course I've watched all of Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, and that's yes, yeah, I know that show. Yeah. Oh, geez, what's his character's name? But whenever I see that actor, I always just think of the Brooklyn Nine-Nine yeah, character. Yeah, and he yeah. loves his food in that one too. He does too, yeah. But this idea of like, they're, you know, Jason Bateman, Agent Zoyle might be the real deal. Like he knows what he's doing. But these two guys are just the buffheads, aren't they? You know, like they're, they're not really ones. very good. Anyway, so they set up this roadblock um, and we go back to Clive and Graham and Clive wakes up and he like freaks seeing the alien. It's a great moment where he like does a kick to his head. <laughs> and tries to choke him and stuff, um, which is funny, isn't it? Because like you think he's been out there like hunting an alien, but then once you got an alien in your fingertips, it's like, no, nah, I don't want an alien. This is too scary. Far too scary. It, it would be pretty scary, and not and not from the point of view of it being a frightening looking thing, so no. much as the implication of this alien there, and suddenly all these stories or these ideas or these possibilities mm. are true, and yeah. your life. That you know it is actually some, you know, in part a lie, and yeah, it's, it's like I think yeah, it'd be easy to be overcome if those sorts of ideas and thoughts hit you all at once. Yeah, sorry, it's the same as if suddenly Space Brains podcast was like an international superstar success where we had hundreds of thousands of people following yeah, if, us. If like Spielberg, if it just happened overnight, like we would probably be like, eh. if Spielberg actually returned my calls, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, and and Tom Cruise actually honoured that pledge to be on after we did oblivion yeah you know like uh, yeah this is a big deal that we're talking to hummard and luke spark and stuff you know like well, you know this is big news for us but imagine if it was tom Cruise. i don't know if we could even talk to him could we so that's kind of the reaction we get here from clive that he like kicks him in the head. <laughs> Which, i don't know that i'd do that to tom Cruise. i don't think i'd do that to tom Cruise because he'd kick you back but i'd freak out a bit i'd freak out uh, so they arrive, um, uh, they, the car RV's coming along the road and they see this roadblock by the two rookies and Paul just vanishes. He just disappears into thin air. Um, and they get up to the rookies and there's kind of like a real nerd nerd out moment, isn't there? One of the rookies finds nice. the, the book with the three boobs. Yeah. <laughs> and, this, and this comes up all the time, three breasts. Yeah. Nice. nice. <laughs> awesome. They were so awesome. Awesome, yeah. yeah. And... Um, why not, other, why not four? The other Bill Harder is like, he's like, he tries to be like Dirty Harry. Like, this is yeah. the thing. The rookies are like as stupid as as uh, Clive and Graham in a way. Um, and anyway, they, they signal them on because they haven't found the alien. Uh, and Paul reappears naked. You know, there's a bit of comedy in that. And he explains that, well, he can disappear, but he's holding his breath the whole time. Um, yeah. So it's not exactly, it's like a camouflage trick, but he can he can disappear. And there's a good... Homage to the Predator. Yes. And this is where we start to get that Clive is, he moves beyond being freaked out. Now Clive is upset. Yeah. You know? 
And he, he, he starts with, this sort of is a bit of a narrative of Clive for a bit of the film, but here he starts with like, oh, it's okay for you. You'll just go back to Area 51, but we'll go to Guantanamo Bay and, you know, we'll have it really delivered to us. And it's true, isn't it? It's like if you think about this American conspiracy government idea, like if you get caught with this kind of information, yeah, they're probably going to put you in somewhere, some deep, dark concrete oh, tunnel that you're never ever going to get out of. insane with neuro-altering drugs. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then destroy your entire life so that no one believes you, where you can say whatever you like. And that just... Australian that was, uh, I can't remember his name, you know, the one that was Hicks. terrorist Hicks? Yeah, he said that um, they basically, in Guantanamo, played, they played that song, Born in the USA, 24-7. So that, that was... Yeah, you know, the you know, irony, of course, is Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. He's Canadian. Yeah. They didn't care about that. But can you imagine? I mean, like, that would I... really bug me. That's what would bug me the most. Yeah. You'd be like, "He's Canadian!" <laughs> My God, he's Canadian. And the soldiers and the American like, "Shut up!" Stole this song from him. Shut up! And they turn to each other and go, "Oh fuck you!" <laughs> Shit. That's okay. Change we... the mix. No, no, we can't now. Then we look stupid. That's okay. We're no, still we're claim... just playing it. <laughs> we still claim Russell Crowe as Australian. Yeah, we do. We do. Born in New Zealand. Yeah. But like anything, I don't know about you, I play things with my children. You know, you watch Peppa Pig 18 times in a row and you, you start to go a bit crazy. So anyway, so Clive is upset and I thought, yeah, he, he deserves to be upset. Um, but Graham seems happy, you know, like he, and he says this is the thing, he, he, this is the bit that I said before about hope. This is where he says, yeah, but he, he explains to Clive that he wanted to help Paul because... Well, his life's in danger. Like, we should be helping him. And I, I quite like... This is where that hope comes in. That, mm. um, to me, Graham from the outset is very helpful and caring and wants to help, even though there's, there's danger for him in it, you know, that he, he might get arrested and, and locked away. Um, Agent Zoyle arrives at the roadblock and, you know, he's kind of pretty much like this was a waste of time until they describe... <laughs> Clive and Gra- they said, "Oh, there was a you know a couple of locals, and then these two pissy nerd, <laughs> pissy pissy nerd jeans guys." And he's like, "What?" Uh, and because oh, it was yeah. a disturbing scene where he, he sits down, there's a puddle of something. Yeah, he dips his finger and brings it up <laughs> off camera, and then it's like down yeah. suddenly very quickly. Yeah. So it's like, but that was that's what got him. And he said, "It's time to close the roadblock." And they're like, "Why?" And he goes, "Because it didn't work." Because that to him is the clue. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it adds to Agent Zoyle knowing his shit, you know. Um, Clive and Graham, they go through a petrol station um, and there's a cop. So it's that old, you know, you're on the run and, okay, you end up at a petrol station and lo, lo and behold, who's there at the same time? Sounds but a cop. Old country cop. Yeah, and we get that kind of like the country cop says to him about the, what do the English police do when they want to shoot someone? Yeah. You don't got gun. Uh no no, not very many. No. Maybe some farmers. <laughs> yeah, what what do you do when you want to shoot someone? What do you do, what do the police do when they want to shoot someone? Uh they try not to shoot people. <laughs> yeah, they try not to. Uh, and there's just like there's nothing, it's just tension and they just like walk out. So that's that British humour there, really, I think. Yeah. Um off they trot. And this is where then they're off and they're good and they're like, Oh, you did well with the cop. And they hit this thing. They hit a bird. And the bird whacks out on the highway and they get out and they're like all a bit sad. And this bird's there. And, of course, Paul picks it up and he 
does this like special mind power, Mister Miyagi, Mister Miyagi sort of stuff, yeah, and the bird comes back to life. It's magic, and he just eats it. He gobbles it down. He's like, oh, oh, that's so good. Why'd you do that? Well, I'm not going to eat a dead bird. That's disgusting. <laughs> um, and we we cut to then Agent Zoya reports back to Big Guy that um, you know, like they're at the petrol station and they were here and they're kind of on their tail. She says she really wants the alien dead now. And this is where the Bill Hader rookie hears it. Like he kind of starts, oh, they're looking for an alien. So, because uh, they were being kept in the dark into here. Um, they they pull the RV into a, into a, like a, a quiet space that looks a bit scary. Um, and Ruth greets them. Now this is that Christian Rigg character. She has one dark eyeglass patch thing going yeah. on, doesn't she? Um, very memorable. <laughs> She's got a very cool T-shirt. Very cool T-shirt about a, Jesus. What was it? Uh, Jesus evolve blonde. this. Evolve this. Why, why is Jesus shooting Darwin in the head? <laughs> because of his theory of evolution. Yeah, it um, does make sense. That's right? a very cool shirt, though. It is a cool shirt. Um, where do you get that shirt? Um, so yeah, the, and Ruth and Graham kind of is a bit smitten by her, uh, you know. Um, anyway, so um, Ruth kind of we learn has a bit of a mystery, dark father, classic oppressive man in the shadows that tells her off for taking too long. Yes. What are you doing? You're talking to the customer. <laughs> get time, back inside. Time to pray. I think he's yeah. Says, time, time to, to pray, pray. You know, like and she does. Um, this is then Paul around the campfire sort of suggests, are you guys? And he like mimics all gay actions kind of thing. Like, And these two guys just look at him going, what? What are you what? doing? Oh, no, no, we're just friends. No, we're just friends. <laughs> Again, it's that sort of thing. Um, and he, he actually then goes, oh, it's okay. Everyone on my planet is bi. It's about the experience. Yes, it's about the pleasure, baby. <laughs> it's about the pleasure, baby. Um and then this is also where he explains that uh, he he crashed, and since then he's been sitting back and helping the government do things. This is where we get a little homage that, and it is Steven Spielberg. Yeah, and he's sitting voice. in the warehouse where they hide the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, yeah, or, or a warehouse very much like that. Yeah, and it's it says it writes up it's 1980, and he's having a chat with Steven Spielberg about ET. And, you know, how he should, you know, uh, phone home or whatever. Um, and then when it comes back, they, they go, oh, you know, it sounds very Agent Mulder of you. And he's like, Agent Mulder was my idea. Yes. <laughs> anyway, they all have a dance and a play and they're all getting drunk and having a good old time. And Ruth kind of sees something a bit iffy with her good eye. Yeah, she doesn't quite get to see it all. Three people dance. She sees three sort of legs dancing. Um, so in the morning, she kind of comes hunting, and this is where she is wearing her Jesus shooting Darwin shirt. Um, and she starts to explain a bit about Darwinism being, you know, um, false compared to the uh, Bible. And Paul and is in the bathroom. Paul's in the toilet hiding, and he, and he just starts having that argument with her about Darwinism versus the religion. And of course, then he reveals herself and she passes out. Um, they'd think, oh, we've got to get out of here. Like, let's just take her down the road. Um, and uh, uh, Clive says, oh, but she's got my passport in the house, you know. No, and so no. Paul has to hold his breath and he goes into the house and he, 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 you know, you see this great scene of him digging through everything invisible. 
um, and he finds the passport. When he sees his photo, he laughs and comes back. And the dad, the mysterious sort of man in the darkness, comes out and goes, like an alien, you know? And so he takes off, but he comes out not with the Bible. He comes out with the gun. Well, he goes against the Bible later. He, that's later. There's a great moment where he grabs a shotgun and then he, like, returns for the Bible. But yeah, in this moment, he just grabs the gun and starts firing as the RV takes it down the road and out of the window flaps a, the drawing of Paul saying, fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, Ruth wakes up, of course, and then continues her, he's a demon hmm. type of thing. And uh, I, I can't remember there's, there's much more, there's not much more of that line no. before. Paul jumps on and transfers his knowledge into her. Yeah, he's got and to. Then, yeah, she sort of freaks out, and uh, you know, Graham asks, yeah, "What? What did you do?" He says, "Oh, I just you know, transferred my collective knowledge into her head." <laughs> and she can do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It takes a bit out of me. Could you do me? <laughs> he says, "Oh, okay," and manages to transfer it into his head. And he turns around and asks Clive, oh, "I suppose you want it too?" And Clive refuses. He says, "No, I." Yeah, no spoilers. No spoilers. No spoilers. That's right. Yes. <laughs> What what was the movie that he'd heard the spoilers for the TV show? Uh, because Graham had went had watched. What did he watch ahead of him? I can't watch some show before uh, Clive because Clive wasn't available to watch at the time, and so he's he's sort of held this grudge about getting spoilers since then. And then uh, yeah, so that all happens, and we have the. Uh, agents turn up at the caravan park and they do a bit of a, a search. And is, it, is this where, yeah, does Ruth calls from the. Not yet. Oh, no, no, no they just grab no. the phone and they, and they forward they, it through. Yeah, yes. they forward the phone. Yeah. Um, and the, the Bill Hader rookie sees the alien drawing, so he sort of takes that. Um, and they, they leave and the dad then starts listening on his radio and he hears Agent Zoyle saying to the big guy that, you know, there's an alien, you know, the alien, this alien's taken them, you know, and so he then, that's when he, there's a great shot where he just grabs his shotgun, walks out of shot, but then like comes back for the Bible. Comes back for the Bible. I love that. Reach that for the Bible, you know. Um, uh, yeah, and then... They're driving down the highway in the RV and Clive asks, um, sorry, Paul asks Clive, what's what's the beef, you know, like uh, what what's the problem here with all this situation? You know, you, you wanted an alien, you know, I'm an alien. And Clive says that, well, we wanted this trip to be special. You know, this was this time to be, you know, Paul, uh, sorry, to be Clive and Graham. You know, they have the moment. And then now that you've picked up an alien and, you guys have bonded. And then now we've got Ruth and yeah. Graham's kind of into Ruth and Ruth's into Graham. Like, and, and what's Cl- my role in all this? Well, Clive and also points, sidekick? points out that for, for the longest time he'd wanted to meet an alien. Yeah. But as soon as he saw one, he passed out. Yeah. And then, yeah, Graham was the one who became friends with him. Yeah. Since oh, I've wanted to meet an alien since watching Mac and Me. Yeah. Which is a, a dreadful E.T. <laughs> um, and But anyway, they, they kind of pull... 
I mean, like he says to him, well, the first time I saw a human, I freaked out too. And, you know, I wasn't happy. And, you know, you guys are weird with your big heads and your little bodies. <laughs> but no, I think it's the other way around. It's just your big bodies and your little heads, you know, like it's weird, you know. And um, so they kind of, he makes it okay. Um, and then Ruth and, at the same time, Ruth and Graham are debating because Ruth's like, well, if I'm free of all the Christian thing, I should fornicate and yeah, swear and I should just live my life. All of these things? And so she starts doing it like she grabs Graham's balls and she kisses him and, and she swears really badly and, you know, just has a moment. And he says, well, you don't sort of have to do everything at once. You can come with us and, and just sort of see where that goes. And, and she agrees. Um, and then they get back on. This is, I think, a really nice moment in the story that, um, you know, she's still not completely comfortable with Paul, but he says... And he just like diagnoses her actual eye problem, and uh, and then he and then he put he convinces her like give me a go and I might be able to fix it, and she trusts him and he, he puts his hand there and he heals her eye. But we also see something quite important. I think this is the the plot point. For yeah, this, it is. Is that Paul's eye goes goes a bit messed m- up messed up first before it sort of any any sort heals of himself. grunts and clenches and then it goes back to normal. Yeah. So we get that idea that. <clears throat> Because he'd been asked about whether he can do it to a human. He's never done that to a human before. Yeah, uh, like bring a human back and to life. And sometimes it can yeah. bounce back on you. And you. It doesn't make much sense that time, but now you see the exact yeah. thing is that he he first takes the injury onto himself mm. and then he can heal himself, yeah. it seems. Yes. So this is that. And I think that's the real reason for this particular moment. In part, I guess also the agents were told to look out for a person with a, a bad eye. Like yes. They had a photo of her as a kid with yeah with a bad eye with, a, with one eye patch on, uh, but I think the more important one is we see the side effects of healing a human, mm. which yeah. comes in important later. Later, on. yes, <laughs> it's one of those ones that feeds in later, doesn't it? Um, they travel, the agents travel. They travel, the agents travel. We have a good sort of juxtaposition stuff going. Um, they stop because she says, well, she should call her dad and just yeah. let him know that she's okay. Otherwise, he'll be hunting them. And the irony here is at the bar that where she like walks to go pick up the phone, the dad is at the bar. Um, so she calls, and when she calls, it goes straight to Agent Zoyle, who kind of says, tell us where you are, You know, we're coming to you, we'll save you, we'll rescue you, all those sort of things. And he does let something slip that then she realizes, oh, they are tracing me. Well, it's it's um, the the rookies because she's talking for a little bit there, and then uh, yeah, Bill's character of that rookie says, yeah. "We got the bitch," <laughs> and she hears that and goes, "What?" Oh, yeah. Slams the phone Hands, down. Yeah, turns around. And it's the hillbilly. The hillbillies uh, are picking their fights. Well, they, I think he tries to crack onto Ruth. Yeah, he tries to crack onto and, and Clive and Graham come in at that time and Graham says, you know, hey, back off. And he gets shoved and he shoves back and then the, the hillbilly falls into the sailors and he sailors says, oh, and... no, sailors. <laughs> <laughs> Again. What, what were the sailors doing? I... In this middle American. They're right in the middle of America. So it didn't matter. Gonna... They're always there. Sorry. They're just yeah. there looking I, for I guess the thing is if you're in a bar and you bump into a whole bunch of guys and they're all wearing their whites, which I assume they don't wear on shore leave because they look like like little sailor boys but they like, do in these movies sorry so i think there was a little joke here a little nod but yeah, to that. yeah oh no sailors and then a bar fight breaks out of course yeah. which is how they they basically get out yeah and, of the, that situation. and the father is also there and ruth recognizes him and then he's attacked as well in that bar fight 
Yeah, and they they get out into their their RV and uh, the the two hillbillies come out and confront them one last time. Yeah, and it's like, oh no, what what are we going to do here? Because crap. Yep. And Paul jumps out and goes, ha ha. Yeah. And the two hillbillies both keel over and fall over backwards. <laughs> and I think is it, is it Graham? Then as soon as says, oh, at least only one of us fell. You know, fainted. <laughs> yeah, trying to get back some toughness, I suppose. Yeah. And then they jump in their RV and. Crash the other side of the Ute and yeah, take but... off into wow. this deserted town. Um, so they wander around this deserted town, and Graham talks to Ruth. Are these deserted because it's late at night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's, there's a thing there, and they, they actually before this said, said, "Should we go out?" And they're like, "Well, there's nothing probably going on." And then they're yeah. like, "Well, let's just go out, you know, like just have a wander." They, they and um, the cowboy outfit. Yeah, they the see the cowboy outfit, and Graham sort of suggests to Ruth that they should kiss as friends to get her warmed up. And they're about to do that, and Paul appears, so it doesn't quite happen. Yeah, um, he ran out of breath; he couldn't hold it. Yeah, and then they so cheesy. They're going to a camp. They have a campfire, and this is where Paul brings out the military-grade weed. Uh, well, it's got Seth Rogen in it. It's got to have weed in it. It's got to have weed. This, this guy admits to having weed. Uh, Seth, if you're out there, you can come talk to us about weed um, if you want. Uh, but, yeah, Ruth wants it, and she sort of just immediately goes through the ultimate stoner effects of, like, Oh, this is not doing anything to me. To I'm really hungry. To anyone got any snacks? We should cook. Oh, I'm paranoid about the world's crashing in, and she just passes out. It's like a stoner in like 20 seconds, you know, like going through all the uh, effects. Of course, not that I know me. anything about that. Sorry. No, I well, I have to say, I didn't quite get the joke. To be honest, I've never been paranoid. No, I've never been. I've never had that experience from weed myself. Where you go through I all of those dev- those different effects, I don't think I ever had those effects ever in oh, one I only, time. I did once kill a man. <laughs> oh, don't go there! Or Jesus Christ! Oh my God! Far out! Did no. you have to go that far? It's on the record now. It always has to go that Jeez. far. Jeez, that's okay. Why couldn't you just pass out like Ruth? Anyway, Paul needs to leave. Uh, because the government will now cut his brain out is what he reveals to them, is no, why, you know, raising the state. He's revealed all the information he can, and now yeah. they just want his abilities. Yes. yes. So, he gave them everything he could, gave them lots of advice, and now it's like down to, they're going to cut. I like, I like that. He's like, they're basically going to cut my brain out, you know. Um, big so brain. Too. Yeah, it is a big brain. In the morning, they wake up. They realize they're just on the edge of town. They've got to go through town to get back to the RV. Mm, um, Ruth has gone back to the RV event ahead of them, and of course, the town is now awake. Um, and they so they they have the idea of dressing him as a small cowboy and, and walking through town. This is an ET reference, where yeah. but in ET they dressed him as a ghost, which means they could just put a sheet over him. Yes, yeah. much better, much better disguise, and much the... more obvious that this is a creepy looking child. Uh, and again, there's the references, like, I think, doesn't um, Graham said, what, we're just two guys walking down the street with a small child dressed as a cowboy. <laughs> again, it's like a, a reference to that homosexuality, I think, yes. um, point. Anyway, so, and when he says that, uh, Clive disappears into, oh no, against the shop window with the big samurai sword. Yeah, the, and this samurai sword's only vampire katana. Yeah, not yeah, one thousand three hundred. Yeah. it was. Yeah. And uh, Paul actually says it's probably a fake. 
Yeah, <laughs> which is false a, economy. False economy. It'll which is what first, he says later. He's a, it'll break a, the first time you try to use it. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is clever. Anyway, so they go in and, it's, and they, they, but they do. They come up with a plan. Oh, why don't you two go in there and get the, and then Graham will go get the RV and come back. You know, and it's like, oh, okay, that's actually not a bad idea. Um, so they go into the comic book shop and uh, um, Clive talks to the owner, and so it kind of enables Paul to kind of hide a bit more. We have the two. We have, sorry. Then we have the agent uh, Zoyle. He's knocking on RVs, mm. and you can see that where Ruth is is only a couple of RVs up, and he's talking to people about, oh, have you seen these people and stuff like that. We cut back to the rookie agents, and they're in town, you know, near the comic book shop, uh, and they're having a private conversation, sort of saying, well, yeah, this is. I think we're chasing an alien. Like we, this is what it's been. They've been lying to us. This is what we're after. Um, and uh, one of them's like, oh, there's a comic book shop. Let's yeah, go in there, you know? And um, so it's sort of like, you know, a bit coincidental. But anyway, inside the comic book shop, there's a kid that is kind of like the karate kid. I don't didn't quite get the reference, but like I thought, is this just an 80s reference or is this, I don't know. I don't, know. I don't want to make any assumptions. So if you're that kid, yeah, let us Get know. Simon Pegg us. and Nick Frost, they could just reach out and tell us. Oh, look, I reckon Simon Pegg, he's a space runner. He must listen to us. Well, he must. Secretly. He's one of those. Simon Pegg's does. He's, he's, one of both, <laughs> he's one of both of the listeners. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this kid talks to Paul and he's not freaked out by Paul and he just kind of has a conversation with him. You know? He's like, oh, okay. So they kind of, and then that kid steals a comic book and takes off. Um, the rookie comes in, sees Paul, who now like freezes, t- pretending to be a statue in his cowboy outfit. <laughs> this rookie is like kind of like teases him a bit, you know, like trying to get his attention. But Paul does really well, and then he like for some reason wants to touch his balls, alien balls. And yeah, they, uh, it was. Um, there was a reference earlier in the yeah, film. Yeah, reference earlier about his, his green dick. Yeah. <laughs> so space like, man balls space man balls and so he like yeah. goes ah oh, space man balls and he like puts his hands into his pants and then of course Paul reveals himself and says get your hands off my junk and um, you know it, it realised and there's a bit of a shootout and actually Ruth's father turns out and gives chase and fires I think a couple of bullets um, and with that sort of timing of course Graham has rocked up in the RV with Ruth and so they all they all escape um and then Zoyle, of course, shows himself to be extremely serious about the situation yeah. and threatens the rookies. The other agents. Says, you know, like, says, you go back to base. This is back. what I'm doing this. Um, I'm taking care of this, you know. The rookies, they see an opportunity here. Opportunity to advance their career. Um, but they ha- managed to, in the RV, kind of get in and do the old-fashioned Back to the Future trick. Yes, that's Paul Put the, the sign behind the sign, which I'm sure wouldn't work. No, but nonetheless, it works in this case. It kind of works movie. in this case, and it moves. They they go past, and then Paul he asks for them uh, a favor. Yeah, he do me one more favor, and they go what? And the camera reveals that they're hiding behind a fireworks store sign. Yeah, and there's a big fireworks store across the road. Yeah, and so we. We get Clive and Graham. They they wander across into the fireworks store and they're looking around, and then they see like this great big fat one, which is called the Five Tones. And we <laughs> hear the little music from uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is five notes. Yeah. And they go, "Oh, that seems appropriate." 
mm. take it to the counter. Uh, big boy, is it? No. Yeah. It's, um, and they take it to the counter and they say, yeah, we'll buy buy this one. How much is it? It's two ninety nine ninety five. Ooh, that's exactly the same as the ninja ki- the uh, vampire katana. Yeah. And Clive is looking at his wallet and goes, yes, it is, isn't it? <laughs> Quickly grabs, grabs it and runs for it and they, they hightail it out of there. Which is unfortunate because, of course, this means that the robbery is reported that yeah. a couple of British nerds stole, stole fireworks in this town. And so that immediately uh, alerts the agents. Yes, and Big Boy reveals that to Agent Zoya, who's like, ah, because obviously they've driven past. So they sort of have to turn back to, to chase him. Um, uh, she, Big Boy, also says, you know, you, if you bring home this alien, you know, dead, you'll get rewarded. You'll get level five clearance, I and think she perks. says, and some perks. Uh, and what does he want? He wants a. Oh, geez, what, he wanted, he wanted a, a, a car park, his own. Yeah, his own car park. car park or something. And the rookies listen and they like go, oh, you know, like, again, if we get the alien, we will get that. And we also see the father listening in kind of with his static radio. And Paul says, no, we need to stop. There's a spot here we have to stop. And it's the farmyard from the start. The yes. house is in the distance and um, he's hesitant to go, but they all go up to the house. Um, Paul they, stays invisible. Yeah, he point. stays invisible. To They all go up, Clive and Graham, knock, and Ruth, um, and this old woman kind of comes out and she doesn't want to know about them. She tells them to go away, but, you know, they sort of say, well, we're here because of the alien, and Paul rocks up. So there's a night, like a little emotional moment. At first she tells them a really sad story that all her childhood was kids throwing rocks at the house and making fun of her and all that. And Paul kind of, you know, um, apologises. And then he offers her a teddy, her teddy bear. He gives her back her teddy bear. And that kind of brings her back over to him. And with that, the agents attack. The rookies, they attack with gas. Um, and Agent Zoyle, like, smashes in the front door, I think. And Paul attacks him. And when he attacks him, he, like, crunches his head and there's, like, white beams of forceful light that seems to like damage his brain a bit well he does he does sort of that uh brain transfer thing a little yeah, bit I again think. which kind of stuns oil that makes him stagger backwards yeah yeah and, and, and fall over I they, think. they jump out and escape and the other rookie sort of comes in through the back and goes ha ha ha, ha i'm here i'm here and uh he goes oh I guess we're not doing this anymore. And he walks up, he's in the kitchen, he looks out the window and sees, sees them all running escaping. away. And he goes to shoot the gun, but of course the um, uh, uh, Tara had put the gas on to make a cup of tea. Coffee, of course, not tea in, in America. <laughs> and he fires his gun and boom, we get an explosion. And the, the house, it's a really cool explosion too. Yeah. The house is just it's freaking awesome explosion, yeah. And uh, the... The rookies, they were like, I don't think they make it. No, well, not that rookie. He's, no, he's gone. He's gone. Um, the other one and the father kind of like give chase. Graham and that, they jump back on the RV and they, 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 they run in and there's bullets firing and stuff like and that. And this is where Zoyle, of course, gets up showing that he's particularly determined because yeah. he starts shooting at the rookie who's, yeah. trying to, who's driving away going, oh, I'm going to get them. Yeah. And, and at that point, you're sort of thinking, gee, he's, he's going hardcore on this getting the aliens thing is pretty serious and we have the agent so the rv's flying down the highway the agent and the father catches up and the agent actually says to him you know like back away this is federal 
And he goes, no, no, he's like the word of God or something, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm on a mission from mission God. God. Thank you. And, and he Blues shoots brothers. him. He, he actually shoots him, doesn't he? Yeah, he says, And uh, so he blows him off the road. Tell God you failed. That's what it was. Because that's, that's it. The Blues Brothers are going on mission from God. So tell God you failed. What a great line. <laughs> it is, is a great line. Boom, Boom. shoots him and the, and the, and the, the dad father, off. Yeah. And... Um, then the rookie's like chasing the RV, crashing, bumping, and they get to this bridge bit and he like zooms off the side of the bridge. And there's a great line there, isn't there? He's like, oh, I'm sure he's okay. And just as he's like, says all that, they're driving across the bridge. No one else sees it except for Paul. But there's uh, just a big fireball big, kind yeah. of. <laughs> fireball goes in there. And, yeah, um, yeah, he'll be okay. Yeah. And then Agent Zoyle's on the case and he's with big guy. Big guy says, that's it. I'm done. I'm getting there first. You failed. Bringing and, in the big guns. I'm bringing in the big guns. And he's like, no, no. And he even like shoots his car, like the radio. And, and he says that was a boring conversation anyway yeah. from Star Wars. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, the RV doesn't work anymore. It stopped working. And Paul walks into like the woods, the mountains. There's this odd shaped mountain. Yeah, but um, yeah, close encounters. Close encounters, table, yeah. Top mountain thing. Um, and he, he says, well, we're here now anyway, so, you know, the rest is on foot. Agent Zoyle arrives at that point and, and's like, no, you don't like, we're going to get you. So he's hunting them through the woods. Um, but they get to a point and they light up the fireworks. Paul lights it up. Yeah. After them, like, going, you're supposed well, to be 500 feet away from the oh, explosion. But, but then we'll be too far. We'll be behind the tree line. We and then Paul just it. lights it. So they all, like, run back. And they and there's, a, like, a nice little beat there, isn't there, of... Fireworks. Yes. And he, he's like, what now? Just got to wait. Just got to wait for them to come. Um, Agent Zoyle arrives, you know, and you think he's going to like blow them out of the sky. And with that, there's these weird golden rays through the tree, isn't it? You know, again, it's very Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, close Encounters, very um, X-Files as X-Files. well. X-Files. Even Cocoon, I thought here, where yeah, there's light. I know that's in the water, but there's kind of that mysterious... Yeah, like I right. say, when I watched Cocoon as a kid, it freaked me out at the start there where he's uh, they're, they're diving down, pulling up these weird yeah. pods, and then he he peeks through to to see see the woman and and like her skin is like a suit over yeah. top of something like oh that totally still went, scared <laughs> freaked out still to this day yeah that freaked me out um, but it's not a spaceship it's a helicopter. And it's actually, it lands and the big guy gets out, which is Sigourney Weaver, dressed up in a ball gown and a few troopers, yeah, a few soldiers. Um, Agent Zoyle, suddenly then, he, instead of shooting what you thought he was going to be doing, is Paul and that, he shoots those sol- shol- soldiers. I think he takes one out, takes the other one Very and gets ter- that one clipped. It's Terminator 2 Very, style yeah. because it's like just the leg and the yeah, shoulder. And shoulder and boom, boom. They'll um, survive. But he does get shot himself. You know, and he says no. I'm, uh, he admits that he's Paul. He was the Paul, he's the, the inside guy. Inside guy. Yeah. yeah, Paul's friend. Um, he, they Paul all was was what uh, who matched him up with his wife. That's right. Yeah, but in this moment, and I love this, and this is I'm sure why you get a bit excited around Sigourney Weaver because they all fight the big guy, and she just like kicks her all, but she kicks all of their butts, doesn't she? She's the big guy. For she the is the big guy. She's like a military soldier. She just like knocks them all out. They're all trying to have a go at her. Um, and uh, she she kicks butt. Um, Ruth's father suddenly shows up, shows up. And I don't know if he says something here. He probably does. But he fires his big shotgun. And it just blows Graham out of the water, doesn't it? He just, yeah, he's Graham. got, he's like, oh, no, I'm okay. 
Yeah, he jumps in front. Yeah, he jumps he in front. He takes the bullet, yeah. Takes the bullet in front of uh, Paul. Um, and he's just got this big mess and he collapses and he's dying and they, they kind of tell him, you know, Ruth's yeah, not You're missing something bit there where, where the, the big guy, Sigourney Weaver, is um, having a wailing on, is it Ruth? And then, oh, geez, who says it now? And all of a sudden I'm confused about it, who was involved. Well, big guy was kicking all the butts, and yeah, then but... isn't it Blythe Danner like is the one that stands up to her and knocks her Tara knocks her down? Oh, that's it. Yeah, so yeah, she's she's beating up on Ruth, and then Tara says, "Get away from her, you bitch!" <laughs> yeah. and, and, and she knocks her back, like she actually knocks her knocks over. Knocks her down, yes. Yeah, and um, and then that's when Ruth's father yeah, okay. rocks well, up. It's and important he wants to get to that because the moment Sigourney Weaver came on the scene, I was waiting for someone to say, "Get away from her." You had to have that. Anyway, and so Ruth's father rocks up and he wants to shoot the Graham. No, Gr- Gr- shoot the Paul. Paul, shoot, shoot Paul, and the demon. And um, Graham jumps in front and he's like, oh, I'm okay. And he, but he's got this big chest wound from the shotgun um, and he collapses and basically dies for a minute. Oh, yeah, and then Paul bit. like rubs his hands together, which we saw with the bird scene, and does it and he slowly like, heals his chest wound you see it getting better but then paul's chest is opening up and oh, bleeding no good. and, and he no, actually like zonks back doesn't he, he like fires back, back we're told it can backfire yeah and we saw it yeah so we, we're looking oh no paul has done it there's no aliens coming to take paul home and it could be a plausible ending yeah that paul just dies paul dies and they yeah. give him a funeral and paul's Family don't turn up, right? Yeah, yeah. So they they're all a bit sad because then they're like, "Oh, Graham, you're back, but Paul's dead." And um, and then with that, he he comes back, doesn't he? He comes mm. back to life. He heals himself. Um, Sigourney stands up with the gun, and she's like, "Ha!" And she just gets <laughs> squished by the spaceship. She's hosed off the spaceship later. <laughs> That's so nice, isn't it? The guy's just like Ugh. pressure hosing the big pressure hosing it. Yeah. Um, uh, and all the other aliens, they kind of like like Paul. They heal the soldiers in the leg wounds and stuff. You sort of see that. They take a picture, a selfie. Paul says to go- goodbye to them, sort of one by one. And Tara goes, uh, with but he them. tells Tara, uh-uh, "I'm not saying goodbye. You're coming with me because you know I fucked up your life. You know we're going to get back. I'll give you another life over in the planet." Um, and the spaceship takes off slowly and he admits that that's quite awkward but yeah, it's just the way it is the, the goodbye 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 yeah and then it's still going up and yeah. standing around and it i think we've all done that at some point where it's like yeah okay yeah i'll see you yeah and then you both head off in the same direction yes. it's like yeah yeah uh, we, there's a premature oh, goodbye. i'll see you later and then you're both standing on the same train all the way to mandra yeah oh okay we're gonna talk oh okay Oh, it's awkward. Uh, I like to stand up when I catch the train, sorry. So I'm just going to walk over here. You you take that seat. I know. <laughs> say goodbye. What can you do? But there's like four seats in a row, Mark. No, but sorry. No, no. I like to stand all the way to Mandra for an hour on my own. Well, to tell you the truth, <laughs> uh, there have been a number of times we've gotten on the train in a similar situation that, and I've, I've had to try and organize myself away because not that I... Well, I am a bit antisocial, to tell you the truth. <laughs> but... When what? I'm on the train, you? I, I, like to to, to I like to watch my, my streaming yeah, no, videos. That's like a whole time that and you won't like, get to watch it. You sit there chatting to someone and it's like, uh, I'm not going to get as much out of talking to you as I will out of watching yeah. an episode of South Park on That's my right. Phone. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, like yeah. So. so anyway, there's an awkward moment. That's It's quite funny they do that. Um, and anyway, two years later, Comic-Con, 
Clive and Graham, same as the start. They enter, nice kind of full circle. But this time. Uh, but this time they're kind of more in the know. And they've actually written a best-selling book called Paul. And they, they get an intro from Adam Shadowchild. Yeah, who, who wants to try to take a bit more of the limelight. Yeah, but it's sort of a bit disappointed. Yeah, a bit disappointed. When they come out, they just get big cheers. Yeah, big cheers. Uh, there's the big an support. Ewok that um, Clive, <laughs> there's, Clive an, there's an earlier scene where where is it Graham checks out a, a princess lair, a slave princess yeah, lair, yeah. and Clive checks out the uh, uh, Ewok going past. And it was revealed that the last time that Clive had sex was with an Ewok <laughs> yeah. uh, cosplayer. So he's, yeah. so he's got a thing for Ewok cosplay, which is, I suppose it's unusual. Well, yeah. uncommon. It's not unusual necessarily in certain circles. No, and I don't think it's... And if, think you're it's a just fur, a, yeah. if you're a furry and furry, you do yeah, like the Ewoks, right. then, you know... Why not? Come tell but us It's just a bit of an ongoing joke. It's right. a bit of a joke there. That's, it's unexpected because you typically expect the the Princess Leia slave outfit to trump an Ewok outfit, which is not terribly flattering. Mm. You could have the most beautiful person in the world, Fabio, for example, could wear an Ewok outfit and would still just look like a, a little bundle of fur. Anyway, I like that you go Fabio, sorry. I like Fabio. that. Well, it it's because the story of the, the stereotype was, of this film. I was talking about this <laughs> earlier today. When there's a guy that works with a Spanish fellow named Javier. Javier. And... Um, one of my teammates just about called him Fabio <laughs> by mistake because he's he's got long flowing locks mm. of hair and he's, he's quite a beautiful man. You know, he's, he's got like this very um, uh, typical chiseled. Spanish chiseled looks. Yeah. You know, he, you know uh, so yeah, he was going yeah. to. So we're talking about the most beautiful man in the universe. Paul is an alien from the universe, therefore, he comes full circle. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the end of the story. <laughs> Fabio is in the Ewok costume. <laughs> Fabio in the Ewok costume. But they, it's implied they've made this big story and everyone likes them. And that is the end. The Paul, Paul, the, Paul, end, the so. story. So what was your viewing experience? I suppose for me, I have seen this film, uh, I saw it once before, I think maybe around 2011, 2012, something like that. I don't think I got to see it in the cinemas. I think for me, this film, it's a comedy but it's uh, it's heavily you know uh, invested in sci-fi references that there's a lot of sort of deep pleasure like we've mentioned quite a bit of that out in this film that you know there's references with Steven Spielberg X Files Alien yeah when um, you recognise the know, lines like, you know you see him he shoots the uh, the, the radio and says it was a boring conversation yeah. anyway and when they um, yeah. When Sigourney Weaver turns up and you're just waiting for the get away from her, you bitch, because yeah, it's a fight scene. That's right. There, there are a number of these little bits and pieces that you, you kind of, uh, they speak a bit of like Klingon. Klingon as well. In there, yeah. it's, it's... And but, but the film also jokes about that nerd level, doesn't it? You know, like, mm. and so there's a, there's a nice bit. And Paul itself is not the, uh, you know, I guess I hadn't even thought about it, but Paul himself, like, he's kind of like a swearing, smoking, drug you know, pop culture icon <laughs> in his own words, it's not the alien that you expect. So it's like almost they turn that on its head. Yeah. Um, but he but he looks like the nostalgic alien that's existed. But for me it's like there's a lot of fun in this film and I just, beyond I just, just the, the comedy of the story. I just remembered the the references to probing. You know, he's gonna yeah, probing right, and he says, Oh look, I've just bought this conversation. Want to probe? And he comes back with the bagels <laughs> the on bagels his fingers. Says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone want a bit of this? Anyone want one of these? 
But, it, I mean, they do that as a good joke, don't they? And the yeah. fact that there's, um, you know, the, why does everyone want to, why does everyone think the aliens want to probe I me? Mean, how much can I learn from sticking things up your ass? You know, like, you know, so he's not the alien that is the scary creature that you expect. But I suppose for me, the experience is fun and nostalgia and like looking for those lines, those connections. I got, I got more out of it because I saw it, yeah, again, back and first very good. And I, I really appreciated that um, acknowledgement of, you know, science fiction, science fiction nerdism yeah. and culture. And uh, when I watched it again more recently, I was watching it uh, on my phone because I'm a nerd whilst I was going to and from my job where I work as a computer programmer. So taking a break from writing my science fiction fantasy story, I felt I felt I got a little bit more out of it. It, it, mm. it was one of the, it's a very... Um, touching you know it felt familiar and kind mm. like like a welcoming space you know mm. it's, uh, i think it's one of those films where you hear this talk where people want to see uh heroes or characters in stories that are like them yeah you know so they they talk about you know they, they have the you know we've had enough of the good look model yeah white men in yeah, stories yeah. Yeah. and so when they sort of say here's a here's a movie that's with the all the characters are female. Yeah. You've got the Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, they talk about that with the Black Panther, and, and I'm not trying to equate my experience to that, but there is a certain amount of that where you sort of seen these two sort of nerds that are they, they're really yeah. enjoying yeah, this yeah. science fiction culture, and they're still taken as a bit of outsiders by everyone else. You sort of feel, you know, I felt a bit of relationship yes. there. Because I like, could see them being space And you feel, you feel a bit warm to it. Yeah. And, and I think I got that more sitting on the train there watching it. I felt like I was in on a secret handshake. You know? <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was like that, like where I'm sort of thinking, secretly was thinking to yourself, you know, I bet those other people who shunned mm. me, they wouldn't get this. Funny. They wouldn't get this joke. <laughs> yeah, they would think it funny that there's an alien that smokes pot. Ooh, 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 isn't yeah, that yeah. funny? But that's not the funny bit. That's not the actual funny bit. No. Yeah, so, so that that was my experience. So I think it's it gave me that sort of warm feeling. And so, um, yeah, I, I I think that's I think there should be more movies with characters representing people who do feel a bit more outcast. Yeah, because yeah. I I can have a slight glimpse that that would be cool. Yeah, I think so. I I definitely think so. And so, where what about your ladder, Surrey? For my me. Ladder. This one skyrockets right up there. This one comes in at number seven for me, um, which puts it right bef- right after, sorry, uh, I've got Interstellar as number six. So this one comes in as number seven and then uh, followed by Passengers and Other oh, Life man. and Cargo. So for me, this one went right up there because I just, those things I was saying about that, there's a fun element in this film there's a lot of really great sci-fi connections to all those other science fiction films and it doesn't feel like they're mocking that industry. It feels like they're in love or they love the science yeah, fiction yeah. references. I mean. You feel like you're so one you, of them. You feel like you're part yeah. of their world, you know, so it feels like there's a lot of love in this story. So, yeah, for me, it went right up there. Plus, I think, like, on, to be honest, I got to the end and I'm like, that was fun. That was a good movie. Like I enjoyed that. Mm. I liked the roller coaster that that took me on. Uh, and we mentioned before, you know, twelve minute mark is exactly when Paul comes into the story. Yet we had a lot of substance about them. We go on a pretty rocky road trip sort of movie, comedy road trip mm. movie, but in the science fiction realm, 
Um, there's a lot of nods to science fiction to keep you, you know, involved in it. And there's a nice enough experience at the end, you know, that, that keeps you there. And there's also surprises. Like there's, there is those surprise moments. And at the start, he squishes the dog. Uh, when he rocks up, he's not a scary alien. He's a smoking, swearing alien that wants to just get out and use the humans. But at the end, and I also like at the end that, you know, the big guy is just squashed and then hosed off. Uh, and he says as well, I, I think, isn't this the bit where we talk about some le- life lessons? And they like, oh, we feel different to how we did at the start. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of true. And it's like as humans, like whereas in movies, I've got, yeah, I feel like hopeful about the future of two uh, races coming together. It's like, yeah, no, I feel different. So yeah, I liked that they they kind of played off the story structure and just gave us some surprises that I didn't expect. So yeah, for me, it comes in at number seven on my ladder. How about you? Sorry, take yeah. it away on your ladder. Yeah, certainly. So up there, I I had this problem and I think we've, we've spoken about this off tape, off air. <laughs> off air is Shows our age, off tape. Yeah, we're taping this. Uh, yes, taped before a live studio audience. That's There's right. No one, but we're live. Yeah, we're but live. One of the problems I have is I'm, I keep looking at this ladder and I think, the, the problem is it's got to be reorganized a little bit. I have to go back <laughs> through because you start putting some in some place and you go, but there are other factors involved. So yeah. this is definitely up there. Uh, it, I put it in between Gantz, Zero and Anon. But That's I fine. Could, I could say put it in there. It could go above Passengers or, or Tau, but I do like, Tower and passengers for other reasons, like because yeah. if I'm going to look at this as uh, as how it makes me feel, mm. yeah, it goes right up there. But if I look at, for example, the the way that yeah, tower or passengers makes me think, mm. it's a yeah. different uh, yeah, experience. it is a different. Experience. So I I'm putting it in there as as I said between you know Anon and Gantz, but. I really want to reorganize my ladder now. Now we've we've watched some thirty eight. Well, yeah, we have. Well, this is thirty eight. Well, the other thing to think about as well is it's a ladder, so maybe the other way to look at it is if someone started at the bottom of the ladder, it's not necessarily that that's the worst film, not at all. But it's just sort of the way if they started and they watched that film and then watched every film up the oh, ladder. That's a good way of looking at it. You know what I mean? Like, what would that science fiction? audience experience be like when they got yeah, to that top what's, what sort of it's not necessary or they could do it the other of, way around they could start with that building, one and go down yeah. how, how would that build up an image of science, science fiction, fiction and story movies and, and films, story yeah. production yeah that's not that's but yeah I, I, I'm thinking of doing a bit of a reorg <laughs> to to adjust some of these we things, might almost but, have to do an episode where we just talk about each film and how they should fit on a ladder or something like maybe that. Maybe like episode 50 or something. Yeah, like we okay. just do like a, a flashback episode, the one that everyone hates. Episode 50 <laughs> will be our, just about two years running. Yeah, so, that's true. So yeah. maybe, so maybe we a, do do that. second year anniversary, we'll, <laughs> we'll go through our, our library of ladder and, and, and just really rehash things so we don't have to do a new episode. Yeah. but Like anyway, they do on those I shows. Mean, <laughs> I mean, that's... But a reorder, times change, we grow, we develop, things things are seen a little bit differently, aren't well, yeah, they? Yeah, when we start, we're sort of naive and fresh and we are. not sure how we're supposed to think of these things. And and, and, and you've just provided a new way of thinking about the science being a, we a started that journey through science fiction. That's and right. 
like a playlist. Like if you're a yeah, DJ a playlist, that's right. doing a playlist at a thing, you know, you want to start off with a bit of a banger. Yeah. Uh, then you need a bit of a rest moment where people mm. can catch their breath and mm. you need to bring everyone back to the floor. That's a good way to think about this, yeah. Something on those lines. Best scene. Science fiction and banger in the same sentence. I like that's, it. I like, that's how modern I am. I use the word banger and I don't mean a sausage. No. All right. What about <laughs> what about what was your banger scene? Sorry, Back in what my was the day, scene? Bangers were sausages. <laughs> That's all they were, were sausages. Sausages. And if yeah. you're some places in Britain, that could also be boobs. <laughs> okay, my... What about a favourite scene? For me, a favourite scene, uh, and I, I liked this. It is the Jesus blowing Darwin's head off. But I, I mean, it's more than just the T-shirt. To me, it's like. I lo- I love this scene of like Ruth being such a Christian, uh, you know she was like demon and pray and she got down on her knees and she started praying and Paul's like oh come on you know and they like they're arguing against it and then he just inserts all of his time and knowledge into her brain uh, and we get this like little quick flash of like monkeys going out <laughs> having sex and then like you know the world flooding and. You know, stars coming down and the earth and, you know, civilization growing and all this. And then, and then like, they both jump back and she's like, oh. And she, it's not like instantly she's not a Christian. You know, that takes a little bit of time to think about. But um, that fact that he inserted it. And I really liked that. And then, yeah, we have um, Graham says, well, can you do it to me? He's like, oh, okay. And he does it to him as well. But uh, that to me is like a little bit of magic. It's like a little bit of movie magic. And I think... The film, you know, when we talk about this film giving some kudos to things like Close Encounters and E.T. and even X-Files, all of those alien stories have a little bit of magic. There's a little bit of that extra pizzazz to them that you get. There's a little bit of fantasy, I suppose. Mm. Um, And, like, you're going to have an alien in a story. Like, you've got to have something that's, like, a little bit of extra power, don't you? Something that's a little bit different to what we expect. And that moment to me is in that scene, you know. And then the outcome is, of course, funny because Ruth then starts to realise, uh, late, you know, in the next scene, she's like, oh, hang on, can't, if I don't have to be Christian, that means I can fornicate and swear and drink and do drugs. And, you know, like, it's just like suddenly she's like a newborn baby, but she's an adult woman. So um, it's, quite, it's quite a funny and magical scene. And I really liked it. It reminded me of 1980s films that have those little bits of magic in them, especially the alien ones, like we said, E.T. and Close Encounters of a Third Kind. So, yeah, that's a favourite scene of mine. What about you? Uh, that's a shame I quite like that scene too. But I'm going to I'm gonna go in at the opening side. So before they meet Paul, so there's mm. two parts to my favourite scene, which is not a favourite scene at all, is it? It's like <laughs> at least a couple of scenes. So the, the opening series of montages. Yeah, the montage. Where yeah. they're, they're going through Comic-Con and then, yeah, you know, so you get this compressed view of them really just totally enjoying the experience. Yeah, they did. They were loving it. And then the next part of it is their little road trip before they meet Paul. Like, yeah. you know, they're, they're taking little photos yeah. and looking at the um, uh, restaurant-y thing that's like an alien. Yeah, there's an alien restaurant. There's the mountains. There's another alien. No, they're all alien-themed things. The, the Star spaceship. Trek shooting yeah. location. The shooting and, location, yeah. And you're like, that... It really gave it gave me that this happy holiday sort yeah. of feeling, and and it compressed so much of their personality and time. I think it was really effective. I do as well. Yeah. The and, and so that's my two parts. I I would also do that. Um, yours best scene, but 
other than that, because we can't just go on about that, but the the bit where they um, get over all the initial concerns about probing and, yeah. and <laughs> eating faces, goodness else, and, yeah. and then the, the, yeah, the bagels on the finger joke yeah. is just, yeah, you want a bit of this? Who wants a bit of this? Who wants <laughs> and they linger on that, don't they? They do just, linger on that joke. Just, because uh... uh, he, he said, because uh, he's, you know, Graham has already said to him, are you more pain? He's like, wow, how much can I learn from a button or that? And then this is... 10 or 15 minutes later in the story, then when, uh, and it's the same yeah, reaction from up. then Clive, like Clive's like, what if he wants to probe us in the butt? You know, like, and, and he's like, oh no, apparently they don't do that. It's like, oh, and he's like coming up with the bagels. <laughs> he wants a bit of this, he wants a bit of this. So, yeah, I, I, I just, it's just a, it's great timing on that one. It so is. I have to go with that. Okay, what about science? What, what's the science? science? Do you, is it the fact that aliens do exist and they can no. pass on knowledge? Well, it's funny you said this because you said it's a bit of magic, the passing on knowledge. Yep. It's not as magical as you think. What? In fact, just recently, Elon Musk oh, of course, unveiled Musk. his <laughs> Neuralink. He did, didn't he? Because he'd been talking about this for the past couple of years. He's mentioned it in 2018. Yeah. The company formed in 2016. Yeah. Uh, and they did a demonstration when they had... Uh, this Four years in the making. It's a long time a, for Muskie. A chip with a bunch of nanofiber wires into a pig's brain. Oh, yeah, I know. And they pulled it out. And the the idea here <laughs> is that you can see what a see what a pig sees. Well, well, let's, well, let's put it. The the real <laughs> applications when we're talking about immediately is uh, in overcoming sort of um, discrepancies or failures. So say you you mm-hmm. you've you've lost an arm and you've got a prosthetic. Right. Okay, so normally it's quite awkward to use, but what if you could have this uh, Neuralink which would allow you to to put and read information through the brain and connect it through, you know, really fancy pants, artificial intelligence and so forth, into the arm so you can control the arm uh, like okay, yeah. it was your real arm. Very cool, very cool. And I like it. I think I've spoken about prosthetics. Which one yeah, was have, it? Yeah, we did. Where there was that, that guy that unconsciously started using his arm. He was able to start learning. But anyway. Yes. So there's got to be like that and, and um, you know, blindness and hearing. If you can get this in there, Elon sort of wants to go the, the whole extra step where he's, he's got from the science fiction, which is what I really like about Elon is he, he wants science fiction to be real. And who doesn't? Right. And so he's, he's looking at, for example, having a, a full-on um, artificial intelligence symbiote so we'd be able to to deal with that mm, but coming back down to real life we're talking about well, I want thought to... transference memory transference yeah with your experiment. hand actually sorry with your hand there was an experiment <laughs> in 2018 of course there was of course there was where and someone I... put their hand to someone else's head it has transferred it, it the has knowledge. more to do with snails ah oh. but that's disappointing but that's not it's not that bad so <laughs> So memory transfer, what we're talking about here is, uh, I'm trying to find the guy's name. Uh, Professor David Glansman is one of the oh. authors of a study where they basically took these snails. What snails were they? They were uh, sea snails, mm-hmm. these great big sea snails, and they got one set of snails and they let off an electric shock near them. Yep. Not hurting them, but no. making them concerned. Yep. And they have a reaction where they contract and they release a bit of purple. Right. Um, but it took a little while for them to learn that. So when you get this, the, a raw snail, 
fresh from the ocean and you zap, it's kind of, pardon? Yeah. What was that? And you, you zap Nothing it. Nothing new with me. You zap it a couple of times and then it goes, oh, this feels pretty dangerous yeah. actually. And so, so that's cool. Yeah. Now what they did is they went and took some RNA. If only it was the 50s, they'd be able to do this to dogs and monkeys. Uh, the, the RNA they took from the neurons of the uh, trained snails and they basically injected it into untrained snails, oh. did a zap near the untrained snails, and the untrained snails reacted the Straight same away. way as the trained ones. Oh, okay. So they're sort of saying, this is sort of like a bit of a, a, a learned response can yeah. be transmitted from one to another. Speeding up the learning process. Yeah, so is basically a memory of mm. the learning from one snail has gone into another snail. Mm. Very unusual. Now, the really exciting part about this research isn't that <laughs> you can train snails to release purple dye quickly because that's kind of not all that interesting. The interesting part was it was thought that memories reside in the synapses between neurons. Okay. And this is of importance because the old neural link sends our fibers down into the neurons. But where do they have to listen to get information about what people are thinking? And this RNA doesn't come from the synapses because if you have the synapses, you can't transfer the memory like this. So this has to come from inside the neuron body itself. Right. So they're thinking there might be, um, this is a bit of turning, a bit of uh, scientific knowledge on its head. Mm. Because if you can... If you can find that knowledge or training is kept inside the neurons, then yes, yeah, quite right. possibly it would be possible to transfer some types of knowledge between organisms. It's a big jump to go from a snail with about 20,000 neurons yep. to a human with 100 billion odd neurons. Like, yes. But you've got to start somewhere, right? Yep. We're yeah, not yeah. as advanced as Paul. Yeah. So... That's really exciting there. Then there's also just mind-machine interfaces. So you start combining these things together. You start sticking fiber probes into your brain. Mm. And there's a number of books that talk about this. There's the uh, the Culture series by Hamilton. Far out, I can't remember it. But anyway, they oh, talk yeah. about a, a, this neuro, this um, neuro-linked you know, sort of web cortex which sits on top of your own brain yep. and interacts which gives you this symbiotic relationship with an artificial intelligence uh, and there's also there's another another one that I like the Night's Dawn trilogy by uh, if you do a Google for search for the Night's Dawn trilogy yeah. you're going to find it find it's a fantastic story but part of that they have this uh, nanotechnology they inject in the back of your spine in back of your skull yep. and it grows fiber connections throughout your brain and gives you sort of a um, computer you can use. Oh, okay. That's part of your brain. Yep. So, I mean, as magical as the thought transfer was in Paul, mm. there is work going towards that. Of course, yeah, yeah. And, and this is, you know, recently maybe, yeah, flash forward 100 years, how far will we've gone? Yeah, you know, that's like, right. In the past 100 years from, well, like, World War One, where people are, you know, wearing Hessian bags in trenches. They didn't even have plastic. Although now we're trying to get rid of our plastic, ironic. <laughs> but you know, now we've we've got internets and and yeah. mobile phones, yeah. and we can regularly just go into space and do put satellites in in orbit, 
another hundred years time, you know, that that could well be telepathic style yeah. networking of human brains. Certainly could. So that's, that's what excites me is that you see these little glimpses of what appear to be, you know, as, as uh, Arthur C. Clarke would say, technology advanced enough that it, it's like magic. Yes. But sometimes they may not be as magical as perhaps they might. Yes. And that always gives me hope because I, I like Elon. And Elon, if you're listening, and I know you do, you're a closet listener here, get in touch. But I also have fantasies of certain science fiction coming true. Very good. And you feel it's here through Paul. Yes, certain parts of it, yes. <laughs> and thank you to Simon Pegg for his work with Star Trek because other parts are in Star Trek. Yes. But it'd be cool to meet an alien like that too. Oh, it'd be awesome. Absolutely awesome to meet an alien like Paul. It'd be more relaxing than meeting an alien <laughs> from uh, Sigourney Weaver's past yes, movies. Yes, yeah. And also, like, there's a really scary alien which looks like Paul. I'm pretty sure the movie's called Communion. Communion, yeah, and it's like based off a book. Yeah. yeah, you know, and, like, in that, it's the alien looks like Paul, but it's not like Paul. He's not nice. <laughs> so, yeah, no, so... And, and there's another alien movie I saw many moons ago, which I can't remember. I think Rook Tahal is in it, and it's... A real slow burner one where he's a farmer and there's a moment in the film where like the aliens have been landing but you don't really see them and stuff. And then he wakes up and this thing is like, you know, like in the shadow in the room mm. and it's just the, you see the eyes and he sees the eyes and it's, it, that's what I mean. It's like a horror alien film again like that and that has haunted me for a long time, just that image, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's like, yeah, so he, whereas Paul, again, he comes out of the darkness, but he's smoking and he's got the little shorts on. He's and got he's his funny cargo like, shorts Yeah, on. he's got his cargo shorts on. He starts straight, pretty pretty quickly, you know, the tone drops, doesn't it? You know, to, to more of a comedy than a danger thing, you know? Effectively, as an alien, he could, like, disappear, come up behind you. Probe you. Probe you. <laughs> Do something to the back of your brain, like insert knowledge into your brain that like makes you collapse, probe you, and or uh, worse, he could probe you, then insert the knowledge of the probe into, into your head, your head. <laughs> so you'd know what it's like to probe yourself, knock you out, bring you back to life, which God knows actually, you know how good that is for you, and uh, and that would be it. So it's pretty terrifying when you think about it, but not terrifying when when you think about it in other ways. <laughs> yes, in the way that they portray it, yeah. And how about the, the film storytelling? So we, we've spoken a bit about the timing of Paul's arrival. Yeah. A few other bits, but... The, the couple of things I do want to pick on with this film, specifically in terms of uh, technicalities, is the, the soundtrack. So it's something you mentioned as well, like the Close Encounters of the Third Kind coming in, um, in terms of the sound. Um, the, the film, they really play off some songs that are all to do with aliens and to do with space um and that that's so that's one thing i wanted to say is there's a the the opening sort of song is that another girl another planet um which is all about aliens and stuff like that in romance um when it's the romantic irony of the gayness or the homosexuality they do work off the just the two of us um and then there's also the awesome and I want to go to this as well with uh, juxtaposition in a moment, but they also, like, the scene I mentioned earlier that they're travelling down the RV, it's Ruth, it's Graham, it's Clive and Paul, and we have this kind of, like, 
real happy, you know, moment where they're like just, it's like an RV traveling through America and it just cuts to the agents and the two black agent comes out and there's heavy rock and roll being played. Mm. Not an actual song that we recognize. It's, it's not, it's being composed for the film, but it's like, boom, 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 and it's really intense. And then it cuts back to the RV and it's all like happy, like a family on traveling and they're, I can't quite remember. I think they're talking about the knowledge they now have because it's after that scene and what they should be doing. And it's all happy and upbeat and things seem pretty... And then it like, cuts back to the agents. Like, no, 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 no. It's just like you don't... A filmmaker never has to make that decision. Like they don't have to... That's not the norm to put something like that in, you know? And I re- so that really stood out to me. So the soundtrack in this film is really clever that way. Um, so there's a couple of specific songs, Flying Saucers, Rock and Roll... Another Girl, Another Planet. Um, and then the other ones are more to do with the symbolism of the moment in time. And so on that, with the juxtaposition, this is another thing that the film does well. Now, juxtaposition in editing, so when you cut from you know, the one example to the next in a scene, that can work quite often in comedy because you're going like, oh, that never happens to us, and it cuts to that happening to yes. them, you know? Um, and so that's like that's like that classic kind of comedy kind of moment. Um, in this, they do that because of the comedy, but they also do it with the the tension. And so in here, there's a lot of the father, Ruth's father, being where they are, and they just kind of keep cutting, you know, like missing each other. And so there's comedy there, but there's also a lot of tension being built up. Um, so I really liked that juxtaposition. They do it with the cars. They do it with the fact that Paul's there and then he's not there. They do it with the father being there and then not being there. So they kind of like keep that going throughout. The final thing is symbolism and it's the alien references. So we've talked a lot about, you know, some of them. Um, uh, It's fantastic that they got Spielberg talking to him, (laughs) 1980, and he's talking about E.T. And as you said, it's like the Indiana Jones factory as well. Um, There's the... X-Files references, which is a big thing from the 90s. Um, There's the comic books that, in fact, there's a comic book with him on the front of it, um, with Paul being on the front of the comic book that the kid talks to him about. Yeah, that's you, isn't it? Yeah, and he's like, yeah, it is actually. (laughs) Um, Even the farmhouse at the very start, I mean, when the film starts... It's just that classic farmhouse that you expect. It's all by itself. Yeah. Just its lights on in yeah. an empty field. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the mention of Roswell, um, the Star Trek references, and even that farmhouse, again, like the movie Signs, which is much more recent. You know, Mel Gibson and M. Night Shyamalan's, you know, the alien invasion film. Um, you know, again, that's a farmhouse like that out in the cornfield, you know. Yeah. Where, you know, like, so it's that classic kind of, house out in the middle of nowhere so so i thought all of those alien references really great i loved the there's a couple of references to the x-files being that i'm such a big fan of that as a child um and got a good connection to it and i also love the steven spielberg connection and of course alien that we have sigourney weaver playing the big guy hunting the alien hunting the alien of course and as you've mentioned a couple of times having that classic line being said back to her. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it just made me happy throughout a lot of those references. Oh, speaking of references, this, this is something that's starting to happen around my house now, is my kids, uh, my, my son called my daughter Dylan. I'll stop doing that, Dylan. And I was like, what, what a weird thing to pick up from school. And then my daughter replied back, 
No, you're the son of a bitch, Dylan. <laughs> Are they listening to Space Brains? Are they the two people listening to Space Brains? <laughs> <laughs> and I went... Are you, are you saying, son you of a bitch, it? Dylan? <laughs> and yeah, but they have no clue what reference it's from. Oh, it's just, they've heard me say it once or twice. <laughs> and so now they're using the word Dylan. They've just soaked it up. As, as a, a swear word. As a reference for son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just looking forward to the day where they end up watching Predator and they go, oh, oh that's what dad got that from. That's like, yeah, There's yeah. a few other things I'm saying as well, which are coming from the science fiction <laughs> movies that I'm referencing. You're obviously referencing in spur of the moment. moment. Yeah, but... Is this like while you're replacing the toilet? You're like, you son of a bitch, Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) They'll, um, yeah, they're sort of saying these things. They're going to have a little surprise when they watch movies. They go, oh, oh, they got that off dad. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, let us know what you think. Uh, Did you watch Paul? What was it like for you? Did you think similar things to us to do with where it would fit on your ladder? Um, did you think it was funny or did you th- take it really seriously? Did you like the references? Did you pick up some other references that we haven't met, picked up tonight? Um, I feel like we've probably talked about them all, but there is some in there and that's what, for me, makes this film such a winner, sorry, that there is pleasure in this story, but then if you understand a lot of those inside jokes, yeah, you get another That's feeling I mean. of being part of, I have a feeling of the Nick Frost, Simon Pegg inside joke story yeah, of and, science and I, and I fiction. I think that's, that's sort of what I, I, I said, the yeah. second, particularly the second time I watched yeah, it, so I picked right. up a yeah. bit more and it felt like, yeah, it was something familiar and it was something that just I got to enjoy. Yeah. Even yeah. though obviously... It made a hundred million dollars <laughs> at the box office. So obviously, yeah. a lot of people got to enjoy. A lot it. of people enjoyed, but still, you know. that's very true. So anyway, what did you think about it? And what did you think about us talking about Paul? Let us know. Hit us up on our socials. We are available on all of those places: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Pretty much, just look for Space Brains, and you will find us with big green brains somewhere along there. I've... And now we are also possibly. By the time you hear this on Twitch, Twitch maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe not. It depends on how quickly we can. Yeah. We can so there will we, be we something want to do coming. it reasonably well. Yeah, so we do. So we just got to sort of work out exactly what we're doing, but yeah. we'll be there. We want to show you the inside of our spacecraft um, where we do this podcast. Oh, that's a good idea. That's where I should put in the green screen. Yeah, yeah, like an inside of a spacecraft. Like yes, yeah. good idea. That is a good just idea. Thinking. That's not where we're. I mean, that yeah, no, that's where we're at. No, maybe. Well, we don't want to show our real spacecraft. No, no, the real spacecraft. Oh, okay. Yeah, you mean the green room of the spacecraft. Okay. Yes, yes. All right, the green one. Yeah. So hit us up, let us know, and we will catch you next time. See ya. Bye.